0: Uh, 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 uh.
1: What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan.
2: And this is Desmond.
1: And welcome to episode 177 of Two Black Nerds. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that love, y'all. And let's not forget to mention, we have merchandise that's available now at TwoBlackNerds.com. Go check out our Two Black Nerds Forever collection inspired by Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. We got t shirts, crewnecks, hoodie stickers, mugs, and toe bags, so go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll be reviewing the latest superhero film from Warner Brothers in DC, Shazam Fury of the Gods. We'll kick things off with our big picture reactions and feelings about the movie, Plus, we'll do a spoiler-filled deep dive on the film's characters, major moments, and the state of Shazam in the evolving landscape of the DC Universe. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with important news items about said future of the DCU. So before we do get into our official conversation about Shazam! Fury of the Gods, I thought it was important that we talk about a couple of key quick things that have recently popped up in the news as it relates to DC. The first being about The Flash, which we know is a movie that's gonna come out later this summer. Mm -hmm. It's been highly anticipated. We got our first trailer during the Super Bowl, and you and I have talked about this movie, it seems like, endlessly on this podcast, especially considering there's a lot of chatter and a lot of conversation around Hollywood about the quality of this movie. There's just been so much praise and adulation about this film, and now, most recently, we just found out that Tom Cruise himself has seen The Flash, and apparently he loved it. He says that it's a great movie, And the Hollywood Reporter went into detail about his experience watching this movie. And he said something to the effect of, this is everything you could want in a movie. And this is the kind of film that we need right now. And they went so far as to have a Warner Brothers employee get a copy of the film, go to Tom Cruise's house in Beverly Hills, (laughs) stay there and watch the movie with him so that nothing weird or strange could happen with the copy of the movie and then proceed to take the copy of the film back to the property and possession of Warner Brothers. What do you make of this? Tom Cruise is obviously, in a lot of people's top-of-mind conversations right now, we're coming off of one of the biggest hits of last year, Top Gun Mm -hmm. Maverick. It was just nominated and won an Academy Award, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, and we're starting to get ready for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 later this year. Tom Cruise is a champion of the movies, as we know, and he loves going to the movies. The fact that he's seen a superhero movie one in the flash of all films and says that it's a it's a great film apparently what do you make of this does does this get you even more excited about what everything what what, what we all know about this movie already
2: yeah the uh, it's not even what he said about the movie it's the way it ends up in his hands or even the want to end up in his hands you know i think even tom cruise is like all right now y'all talking about this flash film (laughs) what's what's really going on and 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 to have such a power as tom cruise who it's crazy he could just do that be like all right y'all i'm trying to see the flash and to have a whole employee pull up to the to to his house to be like okay you can watch it is is crazy in itself but again the fact that he wants to watch it i think is a big deal the fact that someone as with tom cruise's stature so A movie that's coming around, you know, not too far away from his movie as well. It's like, oh yeah, man, this this movie must be it. And I think I think he had that same idea. Like, man, this movie, the way people are talking about it, must be it. The people, because of course it's Hollywood, right? I'm sure they talk amongst each other. I'm sure they see each other every now and then. Somebody probably told Tom, "Hey, Tom, that Flash movie, man, (laughs) (laughs) you gotta check that new hotness, bro. You might have to watch this thing." And so, of course, he pulls his strings to watch it. And I think that's what gets me excited. The one. I mean, somebody told Tom Cruise, to me, to I don't feel like Tom Cruise was just like, I feel like I need to watch this Flash movie right now. I think somebody put it in his ear that he needs to watch it. And 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 that that's the hype. That's the, the thing that gets me going. Because if everybody got Tom Cruise to watch it, and then Tom Cruise said he liked it, that's part two of the hypeness. Absolutely, I'm excited to watch this film. Um, because he could have went through this whole process and not commented about it at all. You know what I'm saying? And that probably mean he didn't like it, but he ha- went out of his way also to comment on the film. And I think that tells that tells it all to me of what this Flash movie uh, is and potentially, you know, can can be. And so I'm absolutely excited about this. I have no idea what we're about to get with this Flash movie, but I, I, I am excited. I can't lie about it. Um, And this is definitely ramping up the conversation, I think, to one of the most anticipated movies of this year.
1: It seems to be a hit in the making for sure. I mean, Tom Cruise, shout out to him for just using all the cachet he has that he's built up (laughs) over the past 35 years to just request a copy of a movie be delivered to his house personally by a Warner Brothers employee to be able to watch this movie. It does signal that this could potentially be one of the most successful and also one of the most beloved films of the year, which has been mired in tons of controversy in the lead up to the release. We also talked about this, I believe, actually off podcast, not officially on the air, but The Flash will... Actually, debut at this year's CinemaCon convention, which typically happens in April. So it's right around the corner. So they're actually going to roll this movie out for people to see months in advance of the regular public being able to see it. And the movie, ironically enough, that premiered at last year's CinemaCon was Top Gun Maverick, which everybody Mm. unanimously loved. It becomes one of the biggest movies of last year. So I think there's just a lot of synergy here, and there's a lot that's pointing to the fact that. This might be a crown jewel for DC, especially Mm -hmm. in the state of transition that they're currently in. This won't be the last time we talk about The Flash in this podcast. We should also note that Superman Legacy, which is going to be the first movie to kick off the new era of the DC Universe by James Gunn and Peter Safran, is going to officially be directed by James Gunn. Mm -hmm. We already knew that he was writing the movie. He publicly announced that months ago. This is one of the first big projects that they're going to be rolling out with that's going to kickstart everything that they're trying to do with this new era of the DC Universe. I had been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks, James Gunn was going to direct this movie. I just couldn't see a way around that fact, and he went on Twitter himself to confirm the news. Does this get you excited? Does this restore more faith into you, into what this movie could be, and just the fact that he's now going to be The sole person really responsible for launching not only that film and bringing Superman back to the big screen, but really establishing the tone and launching this new era of DC that we'll see for the foreseeable future.
2: I think it 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 only makes sense, you know. And like you said, you you've been saying for a while James Gunn is going to direct this movie, and I always believed you because who 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 better else, you know? I think to start to start off, you know, this whole thing, who else than than the person who was leading the future of uh, the DC universe then the person who who has everything at the in the palm of his hands and and I think it makes so much sense um given uh, again not only the position that James Gunn is in but I think the level of quality that he has produced over the years um and the level of consistency that he's produced over the years man I mean between Guardians and Suicide Squad it's just been like well yeah this dude should make more movies um and I think I also think this is a good movie for him to direct because I'm afraid he'll be a little bit more busy down the line. And I love that he's doing this early before everything ramps up at the same time. (laughs) And he's like, well, I really don't have time to direct this thing. But the first one, he probably absolutely has time to direct. And so I love that he's doing that um, at the same time. I love that it's Superman legacy as well. Uh, To be honest, I can't even... Think or imagine uh, a James Gunn Superman film right now. And that's why I'm excited about it, I think, is because I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what a James Gunn Super, Superman movie means. Um, and, and I think that's what also uh, makes me excited for for this film, man. So I I think who else, who, who better to do it than James Gunn? And I think, I think it's in the right hands.
1: You know, this is kind of a full circle moment for him as well. When he first was initially let go by Disney and Marvel due to the controversy on Twitter that he was going through and went over to Warner Brothers and DC to make a movie, they offered him a Superman pick and he decided to turn it down because he didn't feel like he could add anything new to the mythos of the character. He didn't really have a take, you know, which is totally understandable. Ends up directing The Suicide Squad instead, a movie I know we both love, but now to come back as the head of DC Studios running this new era of DC storytelling and to establish himself as the guy that's going to set the tone and set the blueprint for everything that's going to come after that it's just like what John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. did with Iron Man 1 all the way back in 2008 and and what this signals to me is that this guy has a pair of balls on him because <laughs> if you think about it really there's nobody else to blame if this movie does not work like let's hypothetically say that's Superman true. Legacy is a fail and hopefully it's not and I don't believe it will be just due to the track record of James Gunn but if that were to be the case, he has nobody else he could blame. He's writing mm-hmm. the movie, so you can't say it's bad writing. Mm-hmm. He's directing the movie, so you can't look to the director and say, like, maybe we just didn't fit, you know, in terms of our, our leadership in that position. And you can't say that there was studio interference because he's running the studio. The like, studio. this is his whole operation. <laughs> so it's all resting on his shoulders. And I mm-hmm. think that that takes a lot of guts, a lot of fortitude out of him to say, like, yeah, I'm going to give it a crack and I'm going to bring something to the table that we haven't seen out of this character before. And even more so. The Superman character in live action has not been universally loved since 1980 with Superman 2. Like, that was really the last time that everybody was on board with, like, that was a great Superman movie. By the time Superman Legacy comes out, that'll be 45 years. And so he's now entering into some really unprecedented territory and has the opportunity to do something very, very special. And who better to do that than the guy who is setting forth the plan and the vision for everything that DC is going to be moving ahead over the next 10, 15, maybe even 20 years. So we will certainly stick by and see what that all looks like. But let's transition and get to the reason why we're really here and talk about Shazam! Fury of the Gods, which is the latest installment from DC. It's technically the 12th installment from the DC Extended Universe, which, as we have been talking about, is currently in a state of transition. The DCEU will effectively rest after this year it will it will no longer exist because of the plans that both James Gunn and Peter Safran have laid out but This is a sequel, Shazam! Fury of the Gods. It's following up the Shazam pick. They came out in 2019, and I want to go back to that place for a quick second before we really dive into Fury of the Gods and think about Shazam when it was initially released. Again, it was right sort of in the middle of the Snyderverse era. We hadn't gotten the official Snyder cut on HBO Max like Mm. we did a couple of years ago, and so things were sort of in a place where a lot of DC films that were coming out were sort of one-offs. They weren't really leading to anything, but you could tell that they were starting to Try to shift gears to at least introduce some new characters, some new styles, and some new tones, and do something a little bit different. Because I think at that time, we were mostly getting really serious, really dark and gritty DC superhero films. Man of Steel, Wonder Mm -hmm. Woman even was a little bit dark, Batman v Superman was a very dark and gritty film. Shazam comes along and just completely changes the tone and style of DC, at least for that film. What do you think made that first movie so special? Why was it something that you were so drawn to when it was initially re- released in 2019?
2: Man, because I, I think one thing that, that was happening is we had already been, I think, so comfortable with the other characters, at least on screen in DC at the time. Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman are people, you know, we have been accustomed to and got comfortable with in the beginning. And... Shoot, even Aquaman, you know, to a degree. People know Aquaman's name. Not a lot of people know Shazam's name. (laughs) Not a lot of people knew who Shazam was at that time. And I think, to me, beyond Suicide Squad, this was one of the earlier times for DC to take a chance on a character a lot of people didn't know about. And and, and I was wondering what that looked like, right? We had seen it. The MCU introduced characters that a lot of people don't know, Guardians of the Galaxy. (laughs) You know, wink. But here, Shazam uh, is just kind of the DC version to me. As A lot of people were like, who the heck is Shazam? And, and I think people knew rumblings of what Black Adam is and who that was, but who was Black Adam even? You know, at the same time, while Shazam was coming about. And so I remember just being excited for that, them going into Shazam, being like, okay, we got a new character that a lot of people don't know. How do we introduce them? How do we tell the story of Billy Batson in a way that I think, People can understand and relate to and i think that's what makes the movie so special is the relatability of shazam the story and the heart of billy batson is is the thing that resonated not only not only with me but i think with people across the board um i think that there's a there's a moment in uh in 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 the first one where there's just so much Baggage <laughs> that that kid has, that Billy Batson has, and and you know he has to he has to rectify that. But I think it's 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 different than a lot of the DC stories that we know, in in that way, right? Um, it's different than Wonder Woman growing up on Themyscira and just being a goddess. You know what I'm saying? It's like ah oh, no, this kid was absolutely a uh uh, an orphan (laughs) he absolutely has gone from home to home um and i think that's something that's different for dc dc doesn't always play that role completely dc doesn't always you know uh uh, go that direction a lot so i think that is uh one of the most important things when coming into shazam and when making the movie of shazam that people go hmm i like this and not only that but to have a family aspect and dynamic to go with it
1: yeah you know that time was just so interesting for dc because I think the faith that the audience initially had with the brand and with the films that they were rolling out, it was just starting to diminish because there just weren't that many wins. There was a lot of behind the scenes controversy happening, Mm -hmm. probably stuff that most people weren't privy to. But I think a lot of that came to the forefront and came out publicly and it just turned a lot of people off to DC. And so here comes a film in Shazam that just switches up all the tone, all the style that we had mostly associated with those films up until that point and just gave us something fresh and and interesting. And I, I believe, you know, we were also in the midst of the lead up and the conclusion of the Infinity Saga you know that Shazam film came out a couple of months before the end of the MCU as we knew it at that particular time with Avengers Endgame so it was nice to have a very small scale very low stakes and lighthearted story in the midst of these universal ramifications that we were experiencing with other movies and just really the 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 I think almost the overexposure of many superhero films just becoming these huge mega gigantic blockbusters Mm. Shazam was just that oh, this is like a very street-level, very earnest story that's about some regular, regular people that all of a sudden end up in this fantastical situation and it does become a character that you can relate to. And not only that, it was something of a of a film that, that changed the dynamic in terms of what our hero wanted to be in the film because I think we were so used to seeing a lot of the heroes and many other storytelling you know, methods, whether it was TV, movies, video games, whatever, they became the reluctant hero. That became a, a regular trope in many st- superhero stories as it, as it was in the comics and it started to translate into live action. Here in Shazam, you have a film where The kid wants to be a superhero. He's super Mm. excited about that. He's very enthusiastic and ready to try out his powers and figure out what his capabilities are. And that just all felt really exciting at that particular time. And so... It went on to become, I would say, a success. It might have been a modest success. The movie was made for about $90 million, but it grossed $366 million worldwide. Didn't necessarily light the world on fire, but that is is a successful film for something that was already out of the gate, relatively Mm -hmm. cheaper than many of the other big-budget superhero fare that we were getting at the time. Not only that... Audiences and critics loved it. It had a 90% Rotten Tomatoes score, very high critical reaction as well. So most people were very enamored by that film, so much so that DC and Warner Brothers decided to green light a sequel. We officially got the title reveal of Fury of the Gods at the first DC Fandom event back in August of 2020. And then we started to get a little bit more information. We got some behind the scenes footage and conceptual art at the following DC Fandom in 2021. This movie also went through a ton of release date shifts. It was moving all around, all over the place for the release ...release calendar due to COVID, due to just production pipeline issues with VFX Studios, shifting around the calendar, stuff with The Flash, I'm sure. So it had quite a few different release dates until it finally landed on this past weekend. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all these changes and transitions, just a couple of months ago, we found out that the DCEU, as we knew it, was going to come to an end... ...because David Zaslav, who is now leading Warner Brothers Discovery has appointed new leadership at DC Studios. And he picked James Gunn and Peter Safran to lead DC Studios into the future. They're co-CEOs. We've talked a lot about their plans on this podcast. We ran down all of their announcements. And in doing so, there's been some confusion, some questions about, well, what does this mean for characters that we've already been introduced to? Mm -hmm. What does this mean for the introduction of new characters? We have some solid answers on a few people. We know Henry Cavill's not coming back. We know Dwayne Johnson's Black Adam isn't going to have an immediate future in the brand new DCU. Wonder Woman 3, directed by Patty Jenkins, was canceled effectively. But there's a couple of other characters we're not sure about. We don't know about the status of Shazam and Zachary Levi and if he's going to return. We don't know about Jason Momoa and Aquaman, another movie that's going to be coming out later this year. There's just a lot of questions that we don't really have insight into as of yet. What do you think about this movie sort of being the beginning of the end for this new DC EU that's going to be coming in the next few years or so because we still have three other movies coming out this year. We have The Flash, which we've already talked about talked about, Blue Beetle, which who knows what that movie even is at this point, and of mm-hmm. course Aquaman. It, it feels like an awkward year it feels like an awkward state of transition but it's almost unavoidable I think yeah. what do you think about this movie landing in this particular time spot and also just like what it could potentially mean as we move into the future and and where the character may land if anywhere in the new DCU
2: man so many like good questions that it's hard I think to have an answer to I'll put you know my finger on because Shazam is it's just a, a unfortunate place is in an unfortunate place right now in terms of everything going on not only is it the the end of this transition period um into the new James Gunn and Peter Safran universe it's here in in the month of March where everything is cracking <laughs> right now at the movie theater it's 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 just a lot there's superhero fatigue there's uh uh money are tight for a lot of people right now too you know what I'm saying it's like a it's, it, there's so many things, I think, going down that makes the Shazam movie feel, I don't know, man, just like a, a weird stepchild. You know what I mean? Just like, why does it have to be now at this time that this movie is happening? Um, and I, again, I think it's just unfortunate circumstance. I don't think there's anything they could have really done about it I do kind of think a little bit how should we were supposed to see Shazam in December <laughs> which was also a crazy month though to be fair you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying and now it's like dang when could they have released this thing to make everybody feel better about it but um it's it's yeah it's, it's it's so weird man I think what's going to happen is we'll we'll look back at this film and go okay it 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 clearly didn't come at a time or a place where i think people could can actually pay attention to it i'm actually hoping this is one of those films that like people see on streaming and go oh okay oh it w- i could have i wouldn't have mind seeing that in theaters <laughs> you know what i'm saying um so we'll see what that looks like man but yeah it, it, out of everything it's just unfortunate circumstance and i think shazam as a character is it's also one of those things where i think if Peter, not Peter Saffron, but I guess both of them and James Gunn feel like they feel have a need for this character, which I think is another big topic on top of this is what the hell is going on with the characters in the <laughs> DCEU Absolutely. that they still have yet to answer um then then it, it, it i don't know man There's a lot of questions we have to going into the spoilers of, of the movie i think and, and where this is going but man i think that's one of the big things right now is there? there's still a lot of, a couple questions that need to be answered give us a dc fandom give us another james gun tells the people what it is something but there's there's definitely another conversation i think to be had
1: yeah, we will revisit this for sure later in the pod, but speaking of unfortunate, we now have some solidified numbers in terms of the performance of this movie. The film opened to 4,000 screens. It did land at number one at the box office, but it underperformed. There's no way around it. It pulled in $30.5 million domestically. The initial projections were about 35 to $40 million, which were already pretty low, but the fact that it came in even under that is certainly underwhelming. The movie reportedly cost somewhere between $110 million to $125 million to make. It costs another $100 million to promote and market the movie. You can't look at this as anything else but a substantial drop from the first one because that first movie opened to $53.5 million. So we're talking about nearly $25 million less that this movie opened to. Shazam! 1 ended up ending its box office run with $140 million domestically, $366 million globally. It seems kind of unlikely that this movie will reach those heights. Um, This is now considered one of the worst starts in terms of DC cinematic universe movies under the pandem- pandemic era releases Wonder Woman 1984 opened to 16.7 million The Suicide Squad directed by James Gunn opened to 26 million but again those were released in the height of the COVID pandemic and they mm. also had simultaneous releases on HBO Max so mm, a fair share yeah. of the audience just stayed at home This movie in its opening weekend technically made less money than Morbius surprise which who would have called that morbius made 39 million dollars in its opening weekend which is uh yeah that's not great that's not a great optic when you look at just the whole landscape Of superhero films. It's not doing that much better in terms of critical and audience reaction. Right now, it has about a 53% critical score on Rotten Tomatoes, and I believe it has an 88% audience score as well on Rotten Tomatoes, but it has a B plus cinema score. The first film received an A cinema score, and the first film also had a 90% critical reaction on Rotten Tomatoes. So, again, more substantial drops. David F. Sandberg, the director, just actually went to Twitter. Um, I think as early as today, and talked about just the Rotten Tomatoes feedback that the film has gotten. He said this quote: "On Rotten Tomatoes, I just got my lowest critic score and my highest audience score on the same film. I wasn't <laughs> expecting a repeat of the first movie critically, but I was still a little surprised because I think it's a good film. Oh well." End quote. So with all of that said, man. What do you attribute to just this low performance? I think uh, you already kind of spoke to some of those things. We are in the midst of a resurgence at the box office in terms of other Mm. films. There's a lot... A lot of options there's scream 6 there's creed 3 Mm. we have many many other movies coming out in the next few weeks dungeons and dragons is getting Mm -hmm. great critical reaction right now super mario brothers is going to kill at the box office i have no doubt about it but i think that there's other factors too as as we have sort of alluded to around the state of the dc universe around some of the confusion with some of these characters maybe people just don't care what do you Mm -hmm. attribute to just where things are right now with this box office performance
2: yeah man so uh, really all of those things man the the again the movie's cracking right now shoot john wick this week you know what i'm saying a lot of people said shazam i might see go just go see john wick <laughs> what you mean shazam i'm trying to see keanu reeves um i also think there is something where i think the appeal of shazam as a character is a little different right when you sell people Shazam back in what 2019 the first film comes out right when you show people Shazam in 2019 to me you also sold the hope of two other characters being involved there of Superman and Black Adam and Shazam is clearly in a place right now to where they specifically told us neither one of those characters would be involved in this movie nor the foreseeable future at the moment mm-hmm. right I think that hurts a lot right I can imagine as a casual fan I'm like I may not know a ton about Shazam, but I know he did some stuff with Black Adam in Superman. And now you're telling me that's never going to happen. Well, I need to go see this movie for <laughs> what's the, you know what I mean? What's the reasoning? Um, especially when you really like, say you really like Superman. say you really like the rock, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That, that's, that's already one disappointing thing to hear. I think. And now it's been four years since the original, uh, Black Adam wasn't well received. And I think it makes it feel like this movie just came too late. You know what I'm saying? It makes it feel like, dang, well, I mean, we can go watch this movie, but what's going to come out of it? And I think that's always been a thing for some of these superhero films is like, okay, but what is my what is my long term reward? It shouldn't always be like that. Right. A lot of us, a lot of the best superhero films do come out of the right now, like make a good superhero film right now, of course. But again, with all the D.C. changing, with all of that news, you're like, okay, I know nothing's going to come out of this at all. So, you know what I'm saying? So what, what what what's the point? I think that's part of it. Another thing that I've been hearing a lot on the internet is marketing. I've heard so many people be like, Shazam Fury of the Gods, it doesn't look terrible, but I just seen the ad last week for the first time or something, you know what I mean? I, I and I've been hearing a ton of that from a lot of different people. Like, what is this movie? All I, I have a lot of thoughts about the marketing too yeah, so I agree mar- marketing 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 I think that's a, a a big part of it even even myself I think not necessarily the frequency for me but like a, what is it going to take me to get my butt in the seat to see this film for me I mean we're two black nerds you know what I'm saying like I love I love the first Shazam I love superhero films I'm going to go see the movie For a lot of other people, what are you going to do to get their butts in that seat? The Flash trailer got Supergirl, Batman, (laughs) Flash is doing stuff Two Batman. You know what I'm saying? What is this Shazam trailer doing to make people say, I have to go see that? To me, I I love Helen and Lucy Lou. It's not enough. Give us, maybe even give us their motivation. Maybe give us something else in the trailer to get people there. And unfortunately, the trailer doesn't do that. Uh, I think the Shazam family could be a good draw, but you know what I mean? There needs to be more. There needs to be more. And so I think there's just so many, some a, a multitude of reasons for it. Um, and again, some of them are unfortunate, unfortunate circumstance, but I think that marketing piece is a little important as well.
1: I agree with everything you said. And so I will just add that I simply just think that people don't care. I just don't think people care about this character or this franchise really to a degree, which would make them rush out to go see it in the midst of all the options that people mm-hmm. have available. Yeah. Not only the stuff in theaters, but there's great stuff at home now, too. You know, The Mandalorian is back. The Last of Us just wrapped up. People are ready for a succession to come back and just other shows. Like, there's, there's big hits that you can watch at home. And so what is going to be that element that gets people and gets their butts in the seats? And it just felt like all the way up until the lead up into this film... There was just no buzz around the movie. There was no buzz at all. Like, Mm. nobody was talking about it. And that doesn't speak to the quality, because I think you and I would agree it's not a bad movie by any means. It could be be better. It's not Mm -hmm. the greatest thing we've ever seen. But it's not bad. It's not a train wreck. But when saying that, that's just still not enough to get people to say, like, I want to spend my hard-earned money to go watch this movie in a theater with other random strangers. It's just not enough these days. To the marketing piece of it, there have been some notable small things that I don't think a lot of people will necessarily pick up on, but I pay attention to this stuff with with, you know, really big budget releases just because it matters, you know, and this is kind of the industry that I'm also in like I work in social media entertainment. So some things that I don't see stand out to me like this movie. And this is very this might seem really ridiculous to say, but I'm going to say it. Like there's not even a YouTube playlist on the on the Warner Brothers YouTube that contains all the trailers in tv spots for this movie mm. when you go on the warner brothers youtube or, or, or when you go on their twitter um their twitter platform the banner image is for the flash which wow. is three months away it's not for this movie that's currently playing in theaters right now wow. there's not even a cut, custom twitter hashtag emoji that we would typically see with a lot of these big films it, it, it almost feels like warner brothers just kind of wanted to get this movie out and get it in front of people's faces and just kind of wipe their hands clean of it and be done and just move on like i think that all their attention is focused on the flash like there's actually something there the whole release strategy of this movie just kind of felt like oh well i guess we got to do it we'll spend a little bit of money but Maybe we won't spend more money because we see that it's not tracking great. So we're not going to pump more dollars into something that's not going to return us our investment anyway. So why why add any more to it? So it just kind of felt like they wanted to be done with it and mm-hmm. just get it out there and keep it moving, which – Part of me can't necessarily blame them. You have to make some tough decisions as a studio, especially when you bring in the financial piece of it. But it's also really unfortunate because you want movies to get their just due. You want people to at least be aware of it. And as you said, I just don't even think a lot of people are are aware of it. Or if they are aware of it, again, they just don't care. They're like, I'm going to go see something else. All the males, they're waiting for John Wick. Like, they're totally in for that. (laughs) The horror crowd, they're seeing Scream. Creed is still making tons of money. Families, which this movie is primarily targeted to... They're going to wait for Super Mario Brothers. Like, mm, the family-going yeah. demographic, I think, has been the most difficult demographic to get back in theaters. Mm-hmm. Most notably most notably due to the low performance of a lot of animated movies. I think the Super Mario Brothers movie is going to kill. And they're just going to wait for that as, as opposed to seeing another, another superhero film that they've probably... They're probably used to everything that's going to be tossed at them with that type of story. So... Again, it is unfortunate, doesn't speak to the quality of the movie, but it does speak to just the state of things and where Mm -hmm. things are and how people perceive this stuff. One more question I just want to ask you before we move on to our official review in this conversation about the box office. It's not just Shazam. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is not doing great. Like After that opening weekend, the biggest opening weekend for any Ant-Man movie, that film has practically cratered at the box office. Like It's not even... It's it's not looking like it's gonna even catch the first Ant Man movie in terms of overall worldwide wow. box office gross. It's gonna be the lowest of the three. Do you think we have potentially moved past the era where any superhero film could just like come out and easily make all the money in the world? It can anything you you, you slap Marvel or DC onto it. It doesn't matter what type of character it is. It doesn't matter if it's the biggest marquee character or the lowest common denominator. You put anything out, it's gonna just cross maybe five hundred million dollars easily. Do you think we're past that era where people need a little bit more? They need event level spectacle to actually get them out into the theaters to see these movies.
2: Absolutely, we're we're in a, a time now where it's all about you know people are saying it left and right. Superhero fatigue is a is a real thing, right? And I think there has to be a, a place and a space for these movies now for uh, uh for I think. A breach of creativity right new things need to be on the horizon now i think for people to get interested in going to see something i think uh, uh one of the, a, a decent example to me is matt Reeves' the batman you know what i'm saying everyone was like okay it's batman superhero fatigue all the superhero movies are out but you see that trailer you go okay wait a second this thing is different like this is a new different thing and unfortunately between the 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 main dceu and the mcu we haven't gotten that sense right we haven't to me gotten that feeling of okay yeah this is different and uh, t- to be honest not until that dang flash trailer came out you know what i'm saying it's like oh shoot even that feels different you know than a lot of things that we've been seeing and i think that definitely adds to the conversation definitely adds to the decision that that uh people are making when going to see these films man and so now it's like what what are you doing different how do how do you, You know what I'm saying? I don't know. How do you make it? Because because even in some ways, uh, uh, Guardians is like, okay, we've seen Guardians before. Right. Part of it is we we know what Guardians is. Part of it is we know James Gunn is going to come out, do you know what I'm saying? Have a decent film, bare minimum, if not a a, a really good film and, and give us that. Now it's the next couple of movies. When the, when the Marvel's trailer comes out, when Aquaman trailer comes out, I need it needs to be something. You know, it needs to grab the people. And I think that's what's missing now. You can't do the it's a superhero movie. You're going to go see it. Now it's a it, it needs to be a superhero film with a hook. Give people a hook. Give people a reason to come to the theater. And that that, that that's it, man. That's that's what needs to be done.
1: I absolutely agree. It's just not enough anymore. I think gone are the days where you can just put out a superhero film and it's going to be untouchable at the box office. We're just not in that era anymore. And it's even more interesting when you look at 2022. The highest performing movies last year, though they were sequels, they were not superhero movies. Top Gun Maverick, Jurassic World, Avatar The Way of Water. I think maybe three or four years ago, it would have been unthinkable that a superhero movie was not leading the box office Mm. in any given year. Now we're seeing oh, there's actually space for other sequels, other franchises, other films to come in and lead the box office pipeline. Because superhero movies, we get so many of them all the time. Mm-hmm. They're now reaching that stage where, yeah, if there's not a creative difference, if it doesn't feel like it's something that I need to go rush out and see, if it doesn't have that element of just water cooler conversation where it's like must see right now, or creatively it does feel something feel something unique compared to everything else that's come out. I mean, streaming is just you know taking a different type of turn post-COVID where... Folks will just wait, simply, flat out. They will just like bypass any theatrical movie going and just wait for streaming because now it's become, it's just become that normalized to do Mm -hmm. so. Because if you're not seeing anything different, well, I don't have to wait. I can just like. I could just give it, you know, another four weeks and it's going to be on HBO Max or it's going to be on Disney Plus anyway. So why go rush yeah. out to see it? So very interesting state of things, but we'll have to see how that all works out. But let's go ahead and transition and finally talk about the movie in depth of why we are here. And let's talk about the 12th entry into the DC Extended Universe, Shazam! Fury of the Gods.
3: We will
0: annihilate everything.
3: Champions of this realm can do nothing to stop us.
0: You are very menacing. I just want you to know that.
1: A lot has changed in the last few years. The wizard gave me superpowers. Shazia! And well, then everybody got superpowers.
3: Start from the bottom now we're here. Alright, here's the situation. Start from the bottom, not a whole team here. The daughters of Atlas are coming to hunt us. The children stole the power of the gods. Damn! You ripped it from our father's core. Okay, I feel like maybe I should be writing all this down. Give us the powers, child. Your world will not
0: survive this. You want these powers? Come get them! Hey! Khaleesi!
3: Alright. Started from the bottom, not a whole team here. We have one job to do. Save the world. Billy!
0: God! I don't know how we fight powers like this.
3: I can't do this. I'll take my powers back.
0: You gave them to me so you can take them back, right? I spent millennia searching for worthy champion. You know exactly what must be done.
3: Billy, what are you doing? I have to do this. We end this now! Yeah, we do. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Yeah.
1: Now, this movie is directed by David F. Sandberg and it's written by Henry Gayden and Chris Morgan. And it's starring Zachary Levi, Asher Angel, Jack Dylan Grazer, Rachel Zegler, Adam Brody, Ross Butler, Megan Good, Lucy Liu, Jimon Hansu, and Helen. Mirin. so before we talk about all the nitty-gritty details as it relates to Shazam Fury of the Gods we're of course going to do our regular character breakdowns like we do and talk about all the big moments that occurred throughout this film we're just going to start with our big picture thoughts and reactions to Shazam Fury of the Gods so with all the context all the background information out the way man I will pass it over to you what did you think about Shazam Fury of the Gods?
2: Shazam Fury of the Gods is a decent time at the theater uh it doesn't necessarily do anything new it doesn't reinvent any wheels in fact you've seen a decent amount of this movie before um but what it what it does add is uh, i i think some comedy and heart that i love the superhero other films uh do tend to miss you know sometimes i think it does this movie does fit in the avenue That the first with the first Shazam that a lot of other superhero films, I think, just don't have. I think, again, in that heart aspect, in that family aspect that for me made it enjoyable. Um, Unfortunately, I wish there was more of that. There is a lot of the family that gets undermined in this movie, and I would have loved to see more of them. In fact, that's what I thought I was getting uh, when when I bought into this movie. I thought I would see more of, of, of Billy Batson's siblings. I really did. And you know, even though we don't get some of that stuff, there's some, there's just uh, a decent amount of moments in this movie that I liked or had me laughing, which I it. You know, again, a lot of other superhero films don't necessarily make you laugh that much, or they don't always make you feel like, oh, you know what I mean. They don't give you that heartfelt, uh, uh, family moment like this movie does. And so, uh, it's a fine film. Uh, again, I, I appreciate, um, I think what they were going for, I think, but there, there, there's some things that. I was just looking uh forward to that they didn't provide I think and that made me that that definitely took me aback. It's also a, a little bit unfortunate that uh I think the the I think the wow factor in some of this is lost because of that formula um that they were kind of following in this film I think I was looking for something different in, in like a third act in this movie they kind of gave me something I had seen before of course with again very small nuances and, and changes that things I haven't but the overall you know uh theme you had seen before I was hoping for a little bit more out of our our antagonists as well I really was I was hoping for I think they do okay performance wise. Lucy Liu doesn't work hundred percent for me here. Something about her performance, the way she yelled, the way her—I don't know—it felt like she was a villain from like two thousand five <laughs> in this movie. I was like, uh, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. But Helen Mirren, I absolutely enjoyed what she what uh, what she was doing in this film. I actually also really like Helen Mirren's costume. I think that was like Loki a beast the way how good her her costume looked in, in this film uh but man i i really don't have much more to add than that i think i think overall it's it, again fine film to go see in the theater not the greatest movie ever also not the worst movie ever worse than the first exam probably first one had a little bit more heart had a little bit more uh we hadn't seen this movie before uh I, I i will say there is something in this film that do turn up a little bit and that's the uh um um the i think the correlation between uh baby billy and big billy i guess in shazam i think they acted a little bit closer to what they were supposed to act to uh in the last movie there was a couple times it was a little disconnect between the two actors but here i was like okay y'all did a little bit better this time around um one small criticism not enough young billy there wasn't enough young billy this movie to me could have worked better if there was just more kids (laughs) kids <laughs> there was more kids they are in shazam form a lot in this movie and i think have we get have we gotten i think more of the kids that sometimes turn into superheroes we would have i would have been talking about this movie a little bit different and enjoyed some of those family aspects a little bit more um than i already did so uh yeah man it's 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 such a weird movie because it's like dang I've seen a lot of this before but I also still like it (laughs) kind of type thing um and but also was looking for more out of the film so yes I enjoyed it but again I, I I needed a little bit more from them
1: so generally on a macro level I gotta be honest and say I'm pretty disappointed by this movie that being said, I agree that it's not bad by any means, and there's a lot here that I do like. There's there's a considerable share of things that I think work particularly well in the sequel. But conversely, when you talk about the first movie, in which we have done, I think another reason that that film worked so well is because it's ultimately about two adolescent boys, you know, Billy and Freddie who accidentally they get they, they get sucked into this this fantasy adventure right this the superhero story they're trying out powers it's very earnest it's very lighthearted. it's it's really it's really endearing to see them just like feel feel the excitement of what it would be like to have powers and to just mm-hmm. experiment and see what that all looks like and that clumsy nature of of that transition and figuring out well how are we going to be heroes like what can you do? How are you going to save other people? And also not letting that get to your head and not letting that, that power consume you. Those are all really, really interesting and cool ideas when you get that dichotomy between these young boys now having this very adult responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so that genuine excitement of that, that element and also these kids wanting to be superheroes and wanting to try out those powers and wanting to do good all made that just a really enjoyable and I think ultimately successful adventure from D.C., This movie, Shazam! Fury of the Gods, mostly sticks to the comic book formula that I think the first movie actually poked fun at. The first movie kind of directly spoke to many of the tropes that we see in superhero films and kind of subverted the expectations of what you would see in any given scenario. Mm -hmm. This movie just followed a lot of that same blueprint that many films before it have already done. And so I think you get an experience where they traded in the stuff that made the first movie work so f- well for just like more formulated comic book movie tropes that we're just so accustomed to seeing. There, there were mo- moments and times watching Shazam Fury of the Gods where it just felt like they were doing comic book, the movie like that was what we were watching because yeah. It's like, yeah, I've seen that before, and oh, that's happened in this movie, and I can directly reference like this third act battle in many other films that we've seen, and also the character motivations are very similar to -hmm. other films we've seen, even out of DC at that. And so I just found myself really let down and disappointed by that, because I was coming to a film after that first film worked so well for me, I was coming to a film that I was hoping would add some more ingenuity to just the whole comic book landscape that we're just so accustomed to seeing. On a month-to-month basis at this point, we go to the movies a lot, and we see a lot of comic book films, and they often do the same things, and so I just wanted David F. Sandberg and his crew and the cast here to just bring something different. It's not totally void of creativity. There are some interesting moments here. There are some things that work particularly well for the characters and the story here, Mm -hmm. but I do think that this is a considerable step down from what they achieved in that first movie. That said... Still some stuff I enjoy. There's still some good humor and some good heart at certain points and in moments throughout this movie. I think some of the performances are solid. In actuality, Jack Dylan Grazer, who plays Freddie Freeman, he's it's really his movie. He kind of steals it and he mm-hmm. really he really steps up. And, and to your point about Asher Angel, who plays Billy Batson, he's just frankly not in the movie enough. You needed more of him. And so I think Jack Dylan Grazer actually gets more to do here more to work with and he's he's really kind of the 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 thing that stood out the most to me in this film along with a few other things and and the last thing that I'll mention is in relation to the villains it's always nice to see these legends these icons come into these different worlds and universes and just have fun you know Helen Mirren is literally an actress legend and seeing her just play in the sandbox it's great and she mostly does good I actually think that some of the stuff that she had to do it kind of worked Lucy Lou, I can't disagree with you on that. I totally agree with your point about her, and we'll talk about her in depth here in a second. <laughs> but overall, their characters as as the villains in this movie just doesn't really work because I didn't totally understand their motivations. I didn't really understand, like, well, right. why why do you want this? Why is this mm-hmm. such a such a pain point for you? Like, what what do you need to achieve here that you can't do so in a more peaceful way? I don't know. All that stuff kind of felt weighed down by this Greek mythology and this heavy exposition that really kind of mired the experience of the movie for me at several different points in time so it's okay it's a fine movie it's not something I could say you need to go rush out and see it's definitely the type of movie where it's like you can wait because ultimately there aren't really many ramifications for what the story will mean for any future DC storytelling or even really the characters involved in this story itself and so it's just one of those things where it's like the timing is weird. It's just a weird state of thing. It's awkward for this movie to come out when it is coming out. And it doesn't help that the actual experience of watching it didn't elevate it beyond all the weird stuff that's happening in the public with DC as it as it moves forward in the, into the future. So we'll have to just you know think about that and, and really reflect on that as we continue to talk about this movie. But with all of that out the way, we're going to go ahead and spoil this movie and get into all the nitty gritty details. So if you've not seen Shazam Fury of the Gods, this is your official spoiler warning check out the movie whenever you get a chance, and then come back and listen to the rest of our conversation. And so with that said, we should start off this conversation, of course, talking about the titular character, Shazam, aka Billy Batson, who's played simultaneously by Zachary Levi and Asher Angel. And I should mention that we're going to have to pair these conversations up with the two actors who play these one characters, because this is like a weird, different situation. Like you have Mm -hmm. a younger actor playing an Character that also becomes older. So, we're going to do sort of a pairing off situation. um Shazam, of course, the titular character. This is his story. This is his movie. Zachary Levi and Asher Angel returning. I think, as you said in your non spoiler section review, that those two in particular in that first film, I think that they worked really well together. I think that the casting of both of them was a pretty genius move on the part of DC, mm-hmm. the people that were in charge. Like Asher Angel did a lot in that first movie was really really somebody that you could connect with and feel for and empathize with and then Zachary mm-hmm. Levi being the older version of course with the powers just being this kind of gullible yet really excitable teenager about having these powers now in you know grown man form was just that that interesting dichotomy between two characters that you just never really see coming into this movie we're seeing a little bit of an older iteration of the Billy Batson character it's taking place about a couple years after that first movie so Billy Batson is approaching 18 And so the state of his character now is dealing with some of the fallout and ramifications of what we saw in that first movie. We know Billy Batson is an orphan, right? He Mm -hmm. was left behind by both his father and his mother. He has found a family in the foster home system, which we know to come to be this, this Shazam family or the Vasquez family that actually live together when they're not being superheroes. But as the leader of this new group, he's sort of dealing with abandonment issues. He's very afraid that he's going to lose his family Because he's already gone through that with his mother and his father. And so he's trying to do everything he can to keep them together, to keep them tight knit and close. And he wants them to work so badly as a superhero team. So when we first see him, he's having a quote unquote therapy session. It's not really therapy (laughs) because he's talking to his pediatrician, probably the only doctor he knows. But you kind of see that change in his character and where he's at in this place in his life at this moment. What did you think about that being sort of the, the the key component to his character arc in this movie, and ultimately, what do you think about what both Asher Angel and Zachary Levi brought to that particular story?
2: I I actually really love that character arc. I think for Billy Batson, where again he goes his whole life in in search for his real family. He comes across this 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 uh, this new family, and of course, I think when he's finally comfortable, in a family that accepts him, that he would attach to that, right? If you haven't had that your whole life, and you finally get it. You're going to hold on to it. Um, So I I do really like that character arc for him. I like the idea of everyone is just growing up and getting older and doing their own thing. And he's like, man, y'all have had family for a little bit longer than I have, right? They've been together. He came into the house super fresh and super new than everyone else kind of did. And they were at least together for a while. And Billy is like, again, just the new kid on the block, and I I I just I don't know I can just imagine being in his shoes and being like man I haven't had a lot of family I finally got it and now uh, it's slowly you know fading away from me everybody's getting older Freddie's getting older Mary is still wants to go to college you know what I'm saying there's just a ton and a a a, a lot going on and so um, I was that's something I held on to I think in the film I wish they hammered it a couple more times before we got to like the end. Uh, you know scene with the mom and stuff when it's like you know what I'm saying I wish we had a little bit a couple more moments with the family Uh, but man I, I, I like that character arc for him Uh, I wish again we had I think a little bit more Asher Angel to convey that message to because of course uh, a lot throughout the film he was struggling I think with that idea with with his family as, as Zachary Levi as Shazam versus the versus Billy Batson and I wish there was like a a a moment family moment or two when they're when they're kids right when they're in the when they're in the in the in the young form to hash some family stuff out to talk about that a little bit more instead everything was kind of I think muddled and loud and in in uh within that problem it's like yeah he's having Billy Batson's having this problem, but these villains over here, we got to take care of them. Or here's this big action set piece that happens. And now we can't talk about the family stuff that's going on. I think in the end, they do do an okay job. You know what I mean? At least talking about it and bringing it to the end of the film. But I just wish there was a little bit more in there for us to, to chew on.
1: Yeah. I mean, to your point in the opening moments of the film, right before they go on their next superhero mission to rescue the bridge, And prevent that catastrophe he walks out and he says bye rosa you know he doesn't call her mom and we Mm -hmm. see that that emotionally affects her she wants she wants him to accept that as his family you know and to accept her as his as his mother. And, and they don't revisit that concept until practically the end where they have a mm-hmm. conversation to bring her back to say, like, you'll always have a home here. You won't age out. So they just didn't touch on that at any point in the middle of the film. So it just kind of got lost. They just, you know, traded that in for, yeah, we need action set pieces and we need to progress the story of the villains for whatever reason. And so a lot of that family stuff that they could have built upon, it was it was definitely introduced in that in the opening moments and i thought it was really really interesting stuff and that again is a key differentiating factor that makes this unlike other superhero films mm-hmm. that we get but it just wasn't enough of it and and i also think that zach levi i don't know what was going on here but like again the character of billy batson is approaching 18 i might be misremembering my own experience of being around that age but it felt like zach levi was Still playing Billy Batson at several points, Whoa, like he younger. was fourteen and fifteen, a little mm-hmm. too young, yeah. a little, a, a little too petulant. Where I'm just like, yo, come on, you're you're almost eighteen now. You wouldn't mm-hmm. be acting this immature, and so I actually do kind of hold Zach Levi a little responsible for for making some of those choices because I, I I would think that I would think that Billy Batson would be a little bit more mature in several situations, especially considering when you do see Astra Angel in the few moments that you get him in mm-hmm. this movie. It just feels like a disconnect, like the way that Asher Angel acts as Billy Batson does not feel the way the the same way that Zach Levi acts as as Billy Batson as a character. Mm -hmm. So I thought that there was just like a weird just a weird disconnect to several points there. But again, interesting idea introduced there. But ultimately, the execution could have been could have been handled a little bit differently. One thing I do like the fact uh, of what his character had to do here was sort of lead the Shazam family. We saw at the end of the last movie. The Shazam family was a surprise element introduced into that first movie. It was speculated. Oh, will we see other members of the Shazam family? And we do get them at the end of that first movie. And so now their presence is pretty much fully formed here. And so we should talk about them as a whole and move through all the characters. So what's interesting about the Shazam family is that because they are kids, they mess up. They they do not get things right, they are still <laughs> trying to work through their powers and their responsibilities. And so they have probably had quite a few scenarios in which they kind of fumble, and they don't do the greatest job. And we see that in the opening action set piece on the bridge in Philadelphia, which I do think is a great, great introduction for those characters. It was really fun to see them in that environment. But they also get dubbed the Philadelphia fiascos, because they (laughs) just suck. The bridge collapses. They do save a bunch of lives. I think it was like 192 people they saved. So great job. That's really the primary focus. But the collateral damage it's still absolutely absolutely there. What do you think about them as a unit? We'll talk about all the characters specifically, but just yeah. a, about the fact that the Shazam family is now like the superhero team of Philadelphia. Although most people in public are probably looking at them like we really don't need you cuz y'all are kind of messing things up more than you have to.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so interesting I think uh to have this 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 young team that everyone thinks is old. Cause that's why they're messing up. It's funny. Cause like if people knew how old they really were, they'd be like, Oh, well duh, the bridge collapsed. <laughs> they don't know. They're not thinking, I think together as a unit. I also think it's interesting that like, that is the one thing that Billy was also trying to fix actively was how well they work together. And also another thing that they, they unfortunately like don't do by the end. You know what I'm saying? Like that's one of those things where it's like, Hey, guys, we have a problem. We're disconnected right now. And then by the end of it, you don't get that moment where it feels like everyone like really came together just as a M family, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I think that was a missed opportunity. But I think as as a concept, that all works for me, man. That all is, I think that's really cool that these superheroes, the Philly fiascos, are just tearing up all over the place. Well, yeah, she's 12, he's 14, he, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> of course they over here tearing up. Um, But they, they're doing what they can do. And so uh, uh, my favorite again aspect of, of these films have have been the family and I love how you can see everyone's personality slightly um in everything you know I love how uh, uh you can see I don't know <laughs> somebody is trying to stitch together the bridge because they've it's the smart thing to do versus <laughs> like working with I don't know somebody else over here who was just like all kittens let's get these kittens off the bridge first wait a second did she just leave us <laughs> you know yeah, what faith I mean. faith is completely distracted by faith, the cutest shit possible faith is you could tell she's a young girl man because it's like why didn't you just take the whole car to begin with and she literally took the kittens before she took the people that's like exhibit a of why the bridge collapsed you know what i'm saying and i think uh and i think that makes sense and i think that's a really cool thing to bring to those characters again i just wish there was a moment where we like see a, a growth happen by the end of it where we're like they saved this thing the city or whatever and by the end they save it like i don't know if anonymously is the word but they were like mostly non-shazam right when they're like yeah, they going lost through the city they lost mm-hmm. their powers and so i wish there was a moment where they are they are shazam family and and they can kind of give us the opposite of what we've seen at the beginning of the film
1: Like, finally being embraced by the city of Philadelphia. Like, oh, well, wait a second. Like, Mm -hmm. maybe they're not the Philadelphia fiascos. They actually did a tremendous job at making sure the city felt safe. And so there is a lot to talk about with that final action set piece. But it... Again, I think it was a great way to just, like, kickstart that energy of the movie with this opening action set piece. It's actually technically the second one because we get introduced to the villains first. Mm. But to come here and to see them, you know, sort of trying to rescue all these people off the bridge, as you said, a lot of the character beats really spoke to who they are as the young children, as they're sort of imitating what it's like to be an adult. They're They're trying to be more than what they really are. And, you know, you even see, like... Freddie's character, he's all of a sudden just like somewhat (laughs) letting it go to his head because he's feeling super confident. He calls himself Captain Every Power and he's dubbed, you know, Billy Captain Every Power Jr. So he thinks he's like really the leader. Mm -hmm. It's all really good stuff to play off of their relationship with each other. But it was a fun way, I think, to get them back into the fold and get them back into the mix of things. What I also thought was cool, and I just want to quickly ask your thoughts about, was their layer. Like, we don't really see, like, yeah. that many superhero layers anymore. It feels mm-hmm. like it's it's like a bygone product of past superhero films. It used to be, like, super common. Like, you had Iron Man would be in his mansion, or Star Tower, the Batcave is a thing. But I think that we've kind of gotten away from that as, like, superheroes have become more... I guess more global. A lot of these films are dealing Mm. with multiversal stuff or they're dealing with really global implications. So they move around a lot. But Mm -hmm. it's nice to just have like a team come back to a centrally located place that they all know about. It's really the Rock of Eternity, which was introduced in that first movie, but they've turned it into like their own personal man cave, for lack of a better word
2: yeah it's 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 also pretty cool to see uh because they are kids it is like a mix between the rock of eternity being this really really important place that holds magic and you can see the statues of the seven deadly sins are still there and everything (laughs) and then there's these next to a
1: pinball machine right next to a pinball
2: machine they got generators activating lights all over the place clearly uh uh darla has all of her skittles all over the place it's a lot going on there and i I, again i love how how much um i think personality i think they put into that layer i thought that was also a pretty good look man and of course they would like deface the sins who they just defeated and of course they would have like all these couches around and i i I thought it was dope how they had it set up man It, it it made sense again i just wish there was like a a Maybe an explanation why they felt like they had to be the superheroes in The Rock of Eternity. Like, maybe they go back to the lair and they're kids. Like, oh, we're kids Mm -hmm. in the lair. Because it feels more like, to me, that's the downtime. You're back in the lair, right? How often do you see Batman in the Batcave with his Batsuit on? Not that often, to be honest. You know what I'm saying? Unless he has to go put it on or unless he's obsessed with something and he's, like, (laughs) at his computer. But that's what, you know what I'm saying, though? Like, I feel like they should have used it a little bit more downtime. still feel like they was always in superhero mode.
1: Yeah, it it was one of those things where it was clearly a device to get the grown actors on screen more. Mm -hmm. Like, they did not have to be that way. Because I'm thinking, like, if I'm a superhero, when I get back to the crib, I'm in my sweats, bro. Like, we're we're working, but I'm going to be comfortable. I don't have to sit in this Mm -hmm. uncomfortable, real tight around my crotch superhero outfit because it's going to be just mad uncomfortable. Like, let's change. But I think that that's just, like, one of those – it's one of those weird choices that they had to make Mm -hmm. to say, like, well – we can't have like D- DJ Katrona not be in the movie. We have to figure out somewhere to get him into the movie. So let's let's just make them grown inside the in the inside the superhero layer. So it's it's a bit of, again, a bit of a weird disconnect, but something that I guess was like a necessary evil, so to say. Um, the balance piece of it is something I do want to quickly revisit. I, I think that actually, if I'm being honest, I think that the balance between the young, younger actors and the, the, the adult versions of them. It was it was a tricky thing that they had to juggle with this movie, right? Because you, you want to mm-hmm. get them you want to get them both like a fair share amount of screen time. And also you're introducing more new characters, like three or four new characters that have a pretty big presence throughout this movie as well. I kind of feel like that they did a decent job. I agree that more of the kids at certain key points throughout the movie could have mm-hmm. worked in the film's favor, especially as we get back to the family story and really helping elevate and, and develop that dynamic between Billy and his sisters and his brothers. But I think that you know they 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 definitely were strapped for time. It was clearly already a long yeah. movie, and mm-hmm. so they had to make some 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 unnecessary choices, or not some unnecessary choices, but some some necessary choices to make some difficult decisions, I guess, all throughout the movie. But you know, again, one of those things that you have to you know sort of take it as it as it comes. We should talk about Jack Dylan Grazer coming back as Freddie Freeman, but also his adult counterpart Adam Brody playing the character we see a lot more of jack dylan grazer than we do of adam brody like adam Mm -hmm. brody as the adult counterpart is actually kind of sacrificed early on and we don't see that much of him and so i think jack dylan grazer gets a great opportunity here to once again come to the forefront be one of the central figures of the story and also bring back a lot of the heart that we experienced in the first movie because not only of his close relationship with billy but Due to the fact that he's now developing this new romance in this in this film with this new character and played by Rachel Zegler, what did you think about Jack Dylan Grazer and just everything he brought to the role in the, in this timeout?
2: Man, he he really is, I think, the the heart and in, in the make of this film, you know, for a better part of it. He is he doesn't feel like the sidekick in this movie, you know, like you said, we see more of of uh Jack Dylan Grazer than we do Adam Brody, and I think that is not necessarily the case for everyone else or just in general his character the freddy character in general just has a ton of screen time um and and that was uh, a thing that was easy to latch to not only that but his performance to me was just stellar i thought he brought everything that he needed to bring to the table in terms of uh uh, what he was meant to do him and rachel zegler had a decent amount of chemistry to me i thought they did a pretty decent job um he's still funny (laughs) he was and he even in some ways elevated some of those scenes where he had to be more fearful right where he has to stare in the face of a dragon <laughs> you know what i'm saying i was like this dude is kind of killing this you know the, even his moments with uh house as as the wizard i was like oh man this is funny this is good stuff and every everybody he touched on screen it always felt like he was meant to be there it always felt like he was doing the right thing to me um and so yeah he really felt like the star of the film to me even though we know it's about Astro angels billy batson and zachary levi we know it's about them but it still felt like man jack dylan grazer is kind of over overshadowing kind of everybody in the movie right now and part of that is he just had more to do right he had to have the 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 romance with anne he had to get stuck in you know a, a prison cell with the wizard he had to you know kind of uh go back to the family in in or uh not go back to the family but it kind of get rescued quote unquote by the family and things of that nature he just had more to do and, and 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 because of that there was he he was on screen a lot um but i think he did a good job overall man i i really like his character one uh one thing I think that will always be interesting about his character is the fact that when he's he comes out of Shazam mode, he does go back to being slightly handicapped. You know what I mean? He does go back to being uh, um you know a, a accessibility needed um in that way. So I I, I think that's always interesting. That always adds something else to his character because there's that moment where he's trying to steal the the apple of life, whatever it's called, and he starts sprinting with his cane. <laughs> and it's something about that that brings so like a Uh, just a heart to the character. You know what I mean? It brings a realness and something that we, of course, can laugh at, but we're like, oh, he is like not super Shazam. It just adds another layer to his character that I think I appreciate when watching him on screen, man. So I think he did a tremendous job all around.
1: Yeah, certainly. He's the bridge between the A and the B story. The A story ultimately became about the villains. The B story was more so about the family and Billy Batson's connection to the rest of his siblings and just his overprotective nature. But Freddie was that guy that, you know, sort of bridged those two stories in those two worlds because of the relationship that was developed with Anne and and just that that whole romantic, you know, sort of pairing that they had between each other. And so I think that he was tremendous in this movie. He was really electric every time he was on screen. Pretty much everybody he worked with in the film, he had just great chemistry with. You already Mm -hmm. talked about Rachel Zegler. Even the stuff he was playing off of with Jimon Hounsou or Helen Mirren, like he's standing next to very credible actors that have been doing this for quite a long time and he's holding his own. And I love the fact that this is a guy who... In this movie, because he is, like, super confident as his older counterpart, he's going off to do, like, side missions by himself. Like, he's mm. that confident where he's like, I'm going to go, like, save this this car accident and prevent this from happening. He still fucks up like we would expect <laughs> him to, but he's at least making a go at it, right? So he has his own agency, I think, throughout the story where... He isn't completely reliant on the family. He's not just there as like another piece of the puzzle as it relates Mm -hmm. to them being a team. He's also trying to establish himself as like his own individual and his own character while still contributing to the family mission and ultimately what they're trying to do. Um, The relationship with with Anne as a character is a big piece of it. And that happens in the first act where we get Rachel Zegler in this movie. As you said, I think they have a decent amount of chemistry with each other. It felt very natural how they Mm -hmm. met each other, even though we know it wasn't natural. Like she met him on purpose really, cause by design they had to get her character as being one of the daughters of Atlas into this family and to figure out who these superpower beings were on this on this particular planet, on this, on this, in this city at least. And so the way that they meet each other feels really natural, but they they developed like this, you know, this nice team romance. And I think that it's one of those things that again helped imbue some of that that more down-to-earth, really on-the-ground sensibilities that made the first film so special that, Mm. again, helps separate this from other stuff. It's like just kids in high school, right? Just meeting each other and you get to see a guy who is probably considered a nerd, probably considered somebody that doesn't really socialize with that many people. He also gets bullied ridiculously by those two assholes. Now he actually meets somebody that he can connect with, right? But he's also still trading in the stuff that makes him special, in the service of somebody he thinks is cooler than is himself and that's the older counterpart of him like he had that moment mm-hmm. on the rooftop where he's like you want to meet my, my my friend who's a superhero <laughs> like he thinks that he thinks that that that's the approach to take as opposed to just being himself what did you think about just the way that they played off of each other all the way up until the reveal where we finally find out she is one of the daughters of atlas
2: yeah i think it's it's, it's it is one of those things that we have seen before right like love interest sneaks into the other uh to the other family or to somebody who is a person of interest and tries to get information from them or tries to get to somebody else with them. But I I there there's something about it here again, just between the the actor and the actress, between Rachel Zegler and uh Jack Dylan Grazer that just makes it feel different. It's something about uh uh I don't know everything I think Freddie brings to the table that is like this cool high school moment that Again, we have kind of strayed away from in some of these, uh, uh, I think, superhero films, right? Outside of Spider-Man, there's not a lot besides like Miss Marvel, which we just had. You know, it's not a lot of high schoolness, high school things going on. And I think that's something that when they did play on it, they played on well, the high school aspect uh, of this thing, man. And I also, again, great character choice for Freddie, somebody who wants to be, who wanted to be a superhero. I think their entire life to think. That's the cooler part of himself, right? Is mm-hmm. the 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 superhero one because that's exactly who he always wanted to be. Unfortunately, he just can't be that guy at school. Unfortunately, he can't be that guy to go pick up girls. He can't be the guy at the beginning of the movie who's like, Hold on tight, girls, and got two girls in his hair. You know, he can't be that guy all the time. And so I love that that's the thing that he chases. He I don't think he only goes out at nighttime doing his own solo missions because that's the good thing to do. That's also, I think. The, the the part of himself where he feels like he's powerful, where he feels like people accept him, where he feels like he's actually doing something versus the the, the handicapped kid, right? Who can't defend himself in high school. And so I love that they kind of use that as a device for Anne to get to him, for Anne who uh, low key didn't even know that that was him, you know, right in front of her face in the first place, but it turns out to be him. And, and I think that's also a little bit what makes it different. A lot of times you see a story like that, the love interest who's trying to infiltrate knew exactly where the person was she was trying to get to versus it being the person that she ends up liking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think that's what made it different. She was like, Oh shoot. They are the same person. That's what makes it made it feel different. It was like, damn, now what do I do? Kind of type thing. And I think that added an inter- interesting, dynamic to the movie.
1: Yeah. You know, he, he's also a character where I think you see, you, you see some really, you, you see some really cool things to happen where, at that particular age, all those things that he does, is, is it's what somebody at that age would want. You know, it's, it's what they would try to do. They would try to aspire to be something even more of what they are right now. They're envisioning mm-hmm. possibly the best version of themselves. And so for him, that is going out to be a superhero at night doing his own missions. And it makes him not only feel good, but it also gives him that added confidence that he's looking for that he might not experience on a day to day in school. You know, and he's even doubting himself when he meets Anne. He's like, you know, I don't have a chance in hell with this girl, but she's looking at him for who he is. Like when she points to him and and touches him on his chest and calls him a hero it's when he's a boy it's not when he's the the older Mm -hmm. version of himself and so as you said she sees him for who he is and she sees the heart that he has and the bravery that ultimately he has in the situation which is a really scary situation to be in let's talk about grace carolyn curry who plays mary who is notably the oldest of the family she was the Mm -hmm. oldest in the first one of course and she is of college age right now But we find out in this film that she ultimately does not attend college. One of the interesting pieces of that first film is that Grace Carolyn Curry's character, she gets into college. You know, that was one of like her main main story points. And ultimately, when they reveal the Shazam family at the end, they did have an older actress portray her. But now in this movie, they have... Essentially, given her double duty, she's not only playing her regular version, but she's also playing the actual superhero version of herself. But what did you think about her, you know, sort of having the wisdom, the 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 older sister element to this family that I think is desperately needed? Because it's the one person <laughs> that if anybody can kind of keep things straight, even though Billy is the de facto leader, so to say, she's the one that can add in that new level of wisdom, that new level of insight, even though she might just be a couple of years older than everybody.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, she she'll always add something being the oldest the 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 older sister she's also outside of these movies probably the second most important shazam character um mary is actually pretty important in the comments look her up go figure it out she's in a bunch of other stuff too um but but you know here i think she has an important role to play as the as the big sister um and you know there there are times i wish we got slightly more of her right where i was like dang where's I don't know where where is she in this moment. She could have told, I don't know. She could have told uh, uh, Billy to not do this stupid thing or do that stupid thing. And and but I love that as the 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 family is trying to reason. She always does feel like a mentor as well as like a chaperone sometimes. Even though it's like dang, she shouldn't have to feel like a chaperone. But you could tell she feels like a chaperone um, a lot, of, especially when they're like writing the letter and other things like that. She's like, all right, guys let's uh put our heads back on straight kind of type of character and so like you said it's very it's very uh very much needed she does what she needs to do as well the uh the actress grace Carolyn curry she does what she needs to do i think there's there's nothing much uh to to add or not add about her um but it's fine i i think uh she does what they give her in <laughs> in and, and she excels at that
1: yeah she's one of those characters where she's kind of half there in, t- in terms of her presence because the i think the character is written to be more academically focused at this particular time in her life like she mm-hmm. wants to go to college like that's her whole deal and now she kind of feels like that she can't because she needs to stay here and be with her family and be be a part of the superhero team and billy obviously wants that out of her because he's leaning on her for her advice and for her counsel right so she's she's sacrificing her own desires to just stick behind and i thought that that Again, it was an interesting thing that they did not really develop and really embellish throughout this mm-hmm. movie. It's just like slightly touched on in the beginning. Like she has a textbook because she, you know, is like studying something, but it doesn't really go anywhere. And then we see her still also have a social life. Like she goes out and gets like wasted probably at a party and she comes <laughs> to their the eye doctor, their next team <laughs> meeting and she's. Very much hung over, and so those were like small tidbits to kind of point to where she was as a character. But you know, as we said, like it's such a big ensemble that they're dealing with, they 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 have to take away certain things to to service the story at large, which is unfortunate. Cause I think she's also a really good actress in this movie, too. I think yeah. that she does a, a really good job with the material that is given to her, but we just can't see her excel even more. She's just kind of there as that as that presence of an older mm-hmm. sister, but doesn't really get to execute upon it that much. I do want to point out something that that kind of bugs me. And I know you have like a couple of like plot holes or maybe plot conveniences, but one thing mm-hmm. that stood out to me is the fact that because Grace Carolyn Curry is portraying both versions of of the of the character of Mary when they go and do the bridge rescue, their foster parents are definitely watching the news when this is all going down. Like, they don't recognize Mary on the news at all. Like, they don't see her. Like, everybody else looks different, yes. But, like, Mary as a character doesn't change anything about her except the costume. Like, she's Mm -hmm. not wearing Clark Kent glasses. She doesn't have a cowl on. Like, there's nothing obscuring her face. And I thought that that was just, like, a, a curious choice. Like, they're all over the news. They're doing interviews, talking to the media and the press. But, like... Their parents just so happened to miss her face on the news. That just kind of stood out to me. I thought that that was a weird choice.
2: I remember there was uh, the moment where they were talking to the press. I do have a question. Do you remember if she was one of the ones talking to the press? I know it was for sure. It was uh, it was Freddie was talking to the press. Freddie definitely. I think it might have. maybe he's might Maybe he's the Eugene. mouthpiece. I yeah. think Eugene might have been around, but I'm wondering if she was around. I'm wondering if maybe I know that it's still a plot hole at the end of the day. But I'm wondering if like maybe she's like avoiding the cameras as much as possible versus like Freddie, who very really clearly doesn't look like Young Freddie. You know what I mean? It's just like talking to the cameras. I wonder if she avoids press because of that exact thing. I will also add that Victor, their father, was about to pick up on it for a second. He was like. Did you ever notice that these kids and he was like, wait a second, I need to go check on them. But then they popped up. You know what I mean? So I'm like wondering maybe he was about to be like, wait, that looks a lot like blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? But I think it's also like the disbelief that our kids can be anything. (laughs) You know what I mean? The disbelief that our kids can be any kind of superhero that like you can see somebody that looks like them on TV and be like, nah, that's not them. Like it doesn't even come to your mind. But I I agree. That's 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 a great point. That's a great point
1: we just you know the parenting in this movie it's it's one of those things where i'm just like okay y'all like let's hey. the house is getting struck by lightning all the time and you don't think that that's weird all of a sudden and now that this team the philadelphia fiascos is a thing we all know that they exist you can't correlate that at all also and lightning powers <laughs> all right also have lightning powers and i think use them actively also billy out of nowhere he has a code word hey guys it's a great day in philadelphia <laughs> And he just says it in such a way where it's like, what are y'all doing? Like, what are you about to go do? It's just, you know, some of those things where it's like, I can let it go. It's still, you know, it's it's a fun thing, right? It's one of those fun things to get them to, to transition to being superheroes. But, you know, maybe with Mary, she was able to bypass the camera. She does have like, I think like they all do she she was actively using like her speed abilities like when she was rescuing people she was moving super fast like almost instantaneously so perhaps that's the that's the out like we just didn't notice her on tv because she was Mm -hmm. moving so fast so good point let's move on and talk about Megan Good and Faith Herman who played Darla so Darla is the youngest of the family if I'm not mistaken and so Faith Harmon had or Faith Herman excuse me had a lot to do in that first movie because of just her adorable nature. She is this mm-hmm. young, really lovable character. And then the older counterpart is played by Megan Good in this movie. I guess her particular role is just kind of that, that, that really sweet, just endearing member of the family that just... Often gets distracted by the cutest things in life, which is totally understandable, because <laughs> at her age, what do you really care about? You probably care about five things, and that's the cute, really adorable things in life. And so we yeah. get to see her really excel at that. But she's also super smart, too. Really caring individual. I think she's one of the more lovable members of the family. We, we mm-hmm. often see, like in the first movie at least, she tried to connect with Billy very early on and Billy was was hesitant to allow her in and then ultimately we see him embrace her. I think they tried to continue some of those threads into this movie, maybe not so successfully, but what did you think about, you know, what both Faith and, and Megan brought to, to the role of Darla in this film?
2: I think this is one of the closer counterpart pairings in the group where it feels like the younger version is like the older version I think Megan Good does a really good job of I think echoing and mirroring what Darla has going on for the most part she always seems like she always feels like Darla to me even though it's I'm looking at Megan Good it's always like oh man this is a little girl you know what I'm saying it always feels like that just because the way I think they play it man but this is Loki like one of the caregivers of the group like she she just cares about everybody Darla is the She's the the hugger. She put Skittles in, in uh Barry's pocket <laughs> to make her feel better about her day. You know what I'm saying? She's always, even though she is one of the youngest, if not the youngest, she always has the um, I don't know, something about her who she's always w- wanting to look out for other people. And I love that about her. I love that 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 nature of her. Um she even uh, she she had more to do than the other two brothers for sure. I think in this movie where she has a lot of comments about um uh, uh about when they're writing the letter, she has a lot of comments. She's the one that goes and sees if Hespera uh, is still in the in the in the cell. She has the moments, of course, with the unicorns, um, which is crazy. She has a decent amount of screen time actually uh, for 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 her for a character to shine um, at least. And at least I, I love that they call back to the unicorns as she was making a whole unicorns versus I forgot what it was. What was it, unicorns versus something at the beginning of the film. She had a whole thing um about that. So I love how they call back to that. But man, I I love this pair. I think they do a great job. Um and yeah, I I love seeing them every time they're on screen cuz they do bring a lot of I think of that innocence to the film and then you get that one moment where she's on top of the unicorn she out here cussing on top of you And you're like whoa whoa, whoa. <laughs> are you supposed to be saying that young lady but yeah I, I, I love what she brings to the table
1: yeah kind of fearless too right like kind of just n- not really having too much fear when it comes to these really just wild mm. and crazy situations and i think actively as like a younger kid i think we're often fearless in that respect because your limits haven't really been tested and as you get older you start to test your limits and what you're capable of and what you can and cannot do but at the age that she's at she's still kind of in that area of like well what's there really to be afraid of like if something is like obviously scary okay but if there's a way around it if there's something that's not like actively life-threatening then i'm gonna be okay but she has she has several key moments and i agree about the, the the pairing of the two where you see megan good actively still act like a very young little girl which is nice Mm -hmm. you know I think I think it's really cool to see that come to the to the forefront um she does have that big moment which I want to revisit in the final act and just like what they have to do with the unicorns in that whole moment because it's 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 pretty integral to, to to what happens with the final battle but let's move on and talk about the next member of the Shazam family and that's Ross Butler and Ian Chin uh who play Eugene Choi and so this member of the family I think is the smart member you know really of the family like the really scientific nerdy version of, of, of the character but also like strong as hell too like one of the stronger members of the family when we see when we get to see them flex their muscles not a ton to do in this film i think again another case of where you saw a little bit more out of these two characters in the first movie but a couple of key moments here and there i think eugene is a character is uh is also a little sometimes a little aloof like maybe is more interested in playing video games as opposed to like mm-hmm. going out and being like a superhero but still always actively present when it's time to show up and help out the family of yeah. course and when it's time to go on another mission. What do you think about both Ross and Ian and what they brought to, to the character of Eugene?
2: Man, I, I I wish uh they used Eugene's brains a little bit more. As you see, I was kind of alluding to it at the beginning in the bridge scene where he's like using his lightning trying to tie up the cords, you know? And I was like, "Dang, that's smart. Imagine if like The family all caught on at the same time, but he couldn't do it by himself. And the bridge is up falling um, as we can see. I wish they lean into that a little bit more where he's like, "Okay, hey, guys, what about this thing? You know, or what about that thing? Uh, And they they really don't give him, I think, the time to 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 blossom, I think, completely as a character. Of course, he has his moments where he's like he is the guy going mapping out all the doors in the in the uh, rock of eternity and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I wish they gave him a little bit more of that that I'm a gamer brainiac feel, you know mm. what I mean, um, that he could bring to the table. But, man, I, other than that, I think he did fine. I wish they gave even a little bit more to young Ian, too. I know we're talking about overall, like, the the balance between the two. You can only do so much, right? Um, but there's even, like, I don't know, even, like, when they're on the back of the unicorns and you see Ian in the back. For a second, I was like, who was? oh, yeah, that's who that is. Like, I don't know. He just always – fades to the background more than young darla does more than you shoot young pedro does he just feels like he fades to the background a little bit more than the other kids and it's, it's something about it i haven't quite put my finger on but yeah he, i think young um you know ross butler uh, uh or ian Chen should I don't know. They, they they should have found a way to give him one or two more lines to be like, oh, yeah, that's who that is. That's that kid. So, yeah, I I, I like what they gave him to do, Uh, uh but I wish they gave him just, uh, man, give me two more lines from from uh from young Eugene.
1: Yeah, there, there were moments throughout the movie where you would see like a lot of the characters framed up in one single scene. And I was like looking for where everybody was like, where is so and so? Where are they at? And sometimes they would be accounted for and sometimes they weren't. It was kind of. I think not it wasn't really an issue, but there might have been a couple of times where it was somewhat challenging just to know like what's the spatial like placement of everybody, like where is everybody right now? Like I, I even had a moment with Freddie's character where he wasn't present and I had to remember, like, oh yeah, he left to go do something else, or he's probably dealing with Anne right now, so that's why he's not present here. And so sometimes mm-hmm. that proximity to where everybody is can become a bit of a challenge when you do have so many characters. But uh, you know, the character of Eugene here, again, like you say, the brainiac of the group. Uh, could have been utilized more but as as a, as a as a key component to discovering what lies behind the doors of the rock of eternity that is an important function that is definitely some something you need like somebody who's going to mm-hmm. just like take their time to go see what's behind those damn doors who who knows what they'll encounter i, I mean he ran into all sorts of shit there was that moment where he was just covered in like ooze and it's like bro what is that like that looks that looks disgusting i hope that that's not nothing toxic or you know harmful to you but it was cool to see like the rock of eternity not be forgotten about in this film and the fact that you have like this really weird mythological stuff that that could be you know placed mm-hmm. upon any particular door there's probably greek shit behind this door and maybe some egyptian stuff and weird dragons lie lie in this domain you know all that stuff but you know as 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 a fanatic of like that that type of fantasy fantasy storytelling you often want to see like well what would happen if he went through that door like what's going to be mm, the ramification we saw what happened to him with like one particular instance but they didn't really they didn't really revisit it all that much but you know definitely again i think an important function to the to the whole group we should also talk about dj katrona and jovan armand as pedro Pena, who in this movie you know pedro well at least in the first movie pedro is like a really quiet individual doesn't I don't think speaks at all. Maybe speaks like one line towards the end of the movie. Yeah, he's quiet, very much to yeah. himself, shy, doesn't say a lie, very soft spoken. The younger version of the character has more lines. Jovine Armand has more lines, and also you know has a little bit more of a, I guess, a story arc here. We find out that the mm-hmm. character is gay. That that's like a whole a whole beat that's sort of built up to. It's introduced very early, and then they you know pay it off at the end. Um, and then DJ Katrona, who plays the older version, is another counterpart who i think has a little bit of a reduced role in favor of the younger version of the character so the balance felt a little bit i guess a little bit off between those two but at least in terms of their role and what they bring to the team what did you think about you know the character of pedro here
2: you know back to eugene real quick i think pedro even had more of an arc than eugene does you know what i mean even pedro had uh uh him him again coming out to the family and the whole family's like well, we know that was I, that was one of the cutest moments in the movie to me. Everybody was like, oh, that was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. But there's there. At least he had that. You know, Eugene never had like a I don't know. Darla had something to do. Mary had something to do. It really feels like Eugene didn't have anything to do. But I love that Pedro at least has something to do here again. He has an arc. They're talking about he's not good at dodgeball. <laughs> that's a whole thing that they give to him, too. He is like the first one to lose his powers um, from from the Daughters of Atlas. And uh, yeah, man, I still just love his presence. I love, I, I, I love um, Armand. I think plays him pretty spot on or perfectly in what he needs to do. And, and again, although he has a reduced role, I think he does great um, at, at at that. So yeah, it's, it's it's cool to see him. I think return because. I don't know after the first film again the the kids you you never know people get older <laughs> you know what i'm saying and i wasn't sure uh how they would maintain all these kids and, and what would happen but really I'm, I'm happy to see everybody come back but even uh jovon Armand with shoe dj control it's crazy because loki roswell and dj control are like ain't dj Controller like 40 something bro i yeah, swear they're, they're DJ getting Katrona up there is like 40 something <laughs> they're getting up there so it's crazy to see them um, even uh, uh, active here, but again, cool, cool to cool to see them um, interact with the rest of the family.
1: Well, I'm glad you said that though. That that's one of the really that's often one of the challenges when you're dealing with young kids in any project, film or TV. Like we see it all the time: Harry Potter, Stranger Things. Like these kids yeah. age up very rapidly. Like at that particular time in your development the changes are extremely apparent you know you'll you'll be 5'7 one day and then you know a year later you're 6'2 you know and you can't <laughs> you can't hide that and people's voice gets deeper yeah. I wonder if there were challenges with that, you know, behind the scenes. I would I would imagine that there probably had to be, you know. I don't mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if that might have contributed to, you know, maybe some of the choices with Asher Angel not being on screen as much. Maybe if that's mm-hmm. like something that affected them in mm-hmm. production cuz Asher Angel is 20, playing a 17-year-old. And so wow. that can become a little bit of a key difference there. Mm-hmm. Maybe that maybe that was a similar situation. It's also important to note that they filmed this movie in like 2021. So, mm-hmm. I think that they got them right on the cutoff where it, might have started to become a little bit weird and very apparent, like, yo, these aren't kids anymore, not really. Like, some of them are actually, like, becoming grown adults, you know, and I think uh, if they had filmed it even even just a year later, they would have run into some issues. Do you think that that might have contributed to just maybe some of the the imbalance that we saw, the fact that maybe the kids did not have as much to do here as we would have liked to, to see in this film?
2: Yeah, I think that's kind of possible. I'm, I'm really not sure. Um, I will say they do introduce them all as kids, and they think they do a good job of being like, "Look, everybody, they're older," you know, kind of type thing at the beginning of the film, uh, where before they go out to do the, the bridge mission, they, they do kind of do a wrap around the room, right, of what everybody kind of looks like. Where Pedro's watching baseball, everybody's kind of doing their own thing. Um, so I don't know. It's 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 really hard to tell. We'd I'd have to we'd have to ask like an insider, like, "Hey, did this mean anything?" Or yeah, did did their ages have anything to do with the production of this film? I think. Maybe a little bit to an extent, for sure. At least mainly, uh, at least Asher Angel, uh, in 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 particular, perhaps you know where it's like, all right, man, your voice is is getting too deep, man. You're 20 now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't beard, know how much. Bro? Like, what's going I don't, on? <laughs> I don't know how much longer people can believe <laughs> if you're on screen for too long is uh, of of how old you are. So, man, uh, who knows? I I think that's definitely a good guess of at least uh, one thing that could be part of that.
1: I mean, that, that stuff can actively happen for kids while they are literally filming. Like, it's that rapid where his <laughs> voice can sound like one thing one day, and then two days later, that's it is not the same. It, it's very, very possible. And I, I do wonder just about the, the state of this character, which we will talk about more so later as we close out things. But let's just hypothetically say they do a Shazam 3 with the same characters. Like, mm-hmm. Asher Angel's not going to be a kid anymore. And that's the whole dichotomy of the character of Billy Batson, like... Asher Angel, That's let's true. just say that they can get this movie done in four years, within the next four years. It's going to be 24 playing, what, 18? Mm. Maybe possible. Maybe they can do a little bit of here and there to, to make it believable. But, I, but I, I do think that with the passage of time, it becomes a little bit more challenging where the disconnect between the older, you know, sort of Billy Batten as a ho- superhero versus like the kid version that the the line is going to be super thin at that point so i just you know i just think about that too Mm -hmm. as as we were watching the movie but let's keep moving on here let's talk about jiman hansu coming back as the wizard had a very very small presence in the first movie was really there to just bestow the powers of shazam onto billy Batson. so not a ton to do in the first movie certainly an increased role this time out had a lot more to do here and i think that this is one of the cases where in service of one character, sometimes, you know, you have to maybe reduce some of the the roles and responsibilities of others. But I'm actually happy Jamon Hansu had a lot to do here just because, like, the guy is criminally underutilized in almost everything he does these days. Like, <laughs> this is a two-time Academy Award nominee. Like, he's been in some yeah. very notable stuff. He's worked with world-renowned directors. You know, he's worked alongside Steven Spielberg, and he's been in movies with Leonardo DiCaprio. He's extremely decorated, but I find that often his talents are just not utilized to their fullest potential. And he's talked about this recently in an interview, talked about just the the pay scale and how he feels like in in all his years of acting, he still doesn't get paid fairly compared to his counterparts. Mm. And I, I, I can absolutely see that. There's a lot of implications as it relates to that with his race and his ethnicity and all of that stuff, but... Him coming into here, it did feel like that they wanted to do more with the wizard character and give him more to do, give him more responsibility, and also have him interact more with not only the Greek mythological stuff, but also just the Shazam family, because that's really his direct connection to the human, quote-unquote, world. What did you think about what Jimon brought to this to this particular role and just everything he had to do um, as it relates to the story?
2: Man, it was a a pleasure to see him. And Loki, one of the surprises of the film for me was seeing how... Uh, just how present he was I didn't expect him to have uh, I think as big as a role as he did and like you said this man he's been in Hollywood so long and had been in so many important notable movies from Blood Diamonds to Gladiators to Never Back Downs to this dude is he's just been here <laughs> and in he is uh, Loki and to me, another one of the legends that happened to exist in the film with Lucy Lou and Helen Mary, You know, he's like, oh, shoot, did you, Jamal House, who is also here to, uh, to 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 guide us through this movie. And so, um, man, I loved everything that he had to do. He also has comedic time. And one of the best parts of the movie, of course, is when is when Anne and in and, in uh, and, and, uh I don't know why Freddy. people getting these characters' names, man. Freddie, you're talking. It's a lot of characters, I'll, so I get it's it. It's also it's also because he kept messing up his name. So I was about to call him Jeffrey or something <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um in 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 Freddie. Uh. and she, uh, Yeah, they just have a lot of good moments where Jamai How gets to react (laughs) and it's like the greatest reaction ever he rolls his eyes he does what he needs to I think as the wizard man I love how Freddy's telling him you're no wizard you can't do this he's the one that finds the door you know what I'm saying um he even he has a character arc because the gods are Loki mad at him he's one of the people that help steal the powers you know what I'm saying I think that's a whole thing that didn't also really get talked about completely because it makes the wizard Loki feel like a villain that's now a hero from a different time, if that makes sense. Uh, I wish they harped on that a little bit more as well. Um, but, man, I love that, again, that the wizard is here. The person who gave all these kids their powers is present. That doesn't always happen, right? He kind of feels like the Zordon, low-key, of what's going on here. Um, I, I I just think it's, it's cool, uh, and I thought it, it made sense in service of the story. And in him and uh, Jack Dylan Grazer, I think, did a good job of, again, just playing off of each other back and forth throughout the movie.
1: Yeah, You know, one of those things, Wizard as a character is is probably old as hell, like thousands and thousands of years old. But now he has like the sarcasm of modern day humans because he's probably been around humans enough to know that comedic timing Mm. that you're talking about. Like those moments where he's rolling his eyes when they're talking about how they admire and love each other. And he's like, oh, that's cute. Or when they fall down in the pit and Freddy is just like going on and on about how. He, he wants to save Anne and he wants to be there for her. And he's like, oh, feelings. That, that must be so <laughs> nice and convenient that you're thinking about that right now as the world is ending, right? So it's all good stuff. And again, I think utilizing just the talents of Juman Hansu. Like, he can be serious. He can give you that gravitas that I think you need as a character Mm. who knows this history, who can bring all of that that, that mythology to what this story is ultimately really imbuing all throughout this film, but also just still be lighthearted too at the end of the day and have like modern sensibilities and just kind of be like a modern day take on the character you know of somebody that you know has probably seen all sorts of shit i mean who knows what wizard has seen throughout human history i mean he's true. he's probably been through it all you know so i think now he's just in that place of like okay we have to make sure that you know these 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 daughters of atlas don't don't take over the world and now we have to get the shazam family to actually believe that they can save the world we have to get billy Batson to believe that mm-hmm. he is capable of saving the world and being a hero because billy is doubting himself especially towards the end he doesn't think he's worthy And I think that's an important function of the character of Wizard to to remind him like you are worthy. I chose you for a reason. This was no accident. This was by design. This is why you are the most capable. And so he had all the elements to make a great character in this in this outing to to have somebody that you can relate to, have comedic fun with, but also somebody that actually helps really elevate the story of of our main antagonists or excuse me, protagonists and our heroes. So I think that 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 was all really, really great stuff that he brought to the role. In, in 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 his story, he's very much connected to the Daughters of Atlas, which we should get to. The villains of this movie, we'll talk about them individually in a second here, but as, as, as a whole, I want to just kind of focus on just their introduction into this movie and just like mm-hmm. their purpose for being here. So one of the key things about this film is the fact that it does start off introducing them at first, at least Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu as Hespera and Calypso. We first see them arrive at this museum in Athens, Greece to retrieve the staff that was ultimately left behind at the end of the first movie and it's a very violent opening like it's it's pretty shocking how crazy it gets <laughs> in those opening yeah. moments of the movie but it was a pleasant surprise because i just i didn't see it coming just like mm-hmm. how much viciousness they had in, in retrieving the staff what did you think about just that whole moment and how it unfolded the fact that they turned people to stone people heads were getting cracked all throughout that museum it was just a lot going on
2: i think it was one of those things i was looking forward to in terms of the surprise darkness in the film right again I'll never forget um Dr. Savannah in that first movie where he's testing outdoors and the one girl goes to grab the door and she gets disintegrated and and there's the other (laughs) moment where they're they're in the office and he's just like throwing people through the windows with the sins and I was like what is this movie and so I felt like this movie had to have some kind of dark follow-up to that right where like something is going down with somebody and it was at the beginning of the movie. Um and I absolutely love how dark it got. I love how uh uh Helen and Lucy Liu just walk in, you know, and and the uh you what is what is that guy's name? The museum orator. I'm, I always try to remember the actor's name, but he's been in a lot of stuff recently. Not sure. And he's he's funny every time, but it's, it's 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 something about that contrast of this dude with like this comedic tone and then all of a sudden they turn the people to stone and they're sending like Lucy Liu's character, uh, Calypso is whispering in ears and everybody's eyes is turning colors and they like are giving it to each other. She literally has the power to make people zombies. I think that's crazy. I think that's insane. It's insane power. Um, But yeah, what a crazy way, I think, to start a film because everybody in that room died, right? They turned them all to stone. Pretty much. I wish they like talked about it a little bit more. Like the newscast was like, look, everybody all these people just got turned to stone by these two individuals. <laughs> they do have the newscast really quick, but it wasn't as flashy as I thought it should be. Cause to me, that's a big news item. You know, everybody in the world should know about those two people. But, uh, I liked it. I really liked that as a beginning. I love how you tell us that these villains are serious in the beginning. Give us the, these ain't nobody. These ain't these, these people ain't, ain't nobody to mess with. And I think they did that pretty well
1: yeah it it was super effective to present to us with a, a, an extremely formidable threat like these are thousands of years old goddesses who are on a warpath to to retrieve what they feel like was stolen from them and so they instantly establish them as a credible threat somebody that's the you know people that are going to be very vicious and violent and also i think what was effective at least in the beginning moments of the movie was establishing the power dynamics between the three sisters, right? Mm, like just understanding, yeah. like, well, who's in charge here versus who's the hothead versus who's the more empathetic one? That was stuff that was, I think, very much teased out along the film as, as we progressed all throughout through it. We kind of lost it at the end of it. But I think that was like really effective stuff too. But yeah, that opening sequence was just it was pretty shocking just to see it get that that violent and crazy. Like Lucy Lou at one point, like some guy, some guy tried to grab the staff from her and she just tossed him. And his, I'm, I swear his neck snapped on, like, one of the stone statues. Like, it was crazy how violent this was. And I'm like, are, are we sure that this is PG-13? But good stuff and good good way to see, like, their powers develop, too. But Helen Mirren here coming in as Hespera, his- she is, like, the one in charge, at mm-hmm. least for most of the movie, right? And so I think one of the things that kind of gets mixed up sometimes throughout this story between her and Lucy Lewis Calypso is like what do they really want? Like what's the mm-hmm. true motivation here? Like, we know that the staff was like something that they wanted to get. They got that back. They also had to confront the Shazam family to understand, like, well, who are these, who are these challengers, quote unquote, with these powers? Like, we have to make sure that we address this and and take care of this and nip this in the bud. But then also like the staff was a MacGuffin and then they introduced like another MacGuffin with the with the apple that that they retrieved to like mm-hmm. restore yeah. their world and and, and and create new life and and restore their whole their whole existence, essentially. And they were also, I think, simultaneously trying to avenge their father, Atlas. It just Mm. felt like it was kind of all over the place. You know, Helen Mirren, I think, tried to do her best to recenter the group and to just, like, make us connect with her because she does have that moment with Billy where she's explaining to him, like, how would you feel if somebody stole something from you? What Mm. would you do? Like, that was a really effective moment to write and to get us to understand, like, well, what do they want? But then you have Calypso, played by Lucy Liu, where it's like, oh she's just crazy she just wants to fucking take over and she's willing to do it by any means necessary did you find yourself lost with just like all the mythological stuff and just their motivations and how they you know sort of introduce those elements to the story
2: yeah i'm not always in this camp but i think this is this is this would have been a good movie to say here's a flashback (laughs) you know what i'm saying here is that's fair the wizard taking or you know what I mean and all of his people taking powers or whatever they were doing away from the daughters of Atlas or or, uh their dad Atlas himself right like have Atlas in the flashback have the wizards or whatever they were called back then in the flashback and tell us what happened then we come back to present day and we can see why they care so much about this thing of course Calypso's whole thing was our main thing is to avenge our dad but like why do we care about him? You know what I'm saying? Like why is he so important in all of this? I really love that that moment between uh Helen Mirren and um or I guess Hespera and in 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 Billy Batson with the sit down with the Philly cheesesteak steak spot, right? Cuz it's like uh it's one of the moments where we like you said we uh, we actually get dialogue from the antagonist of like how would you feel if this happened to you? Sure. And she kind of and she kind of lays it out. And I was like, "Dang." That's one of my favorite parts of the movie, just because it was it made sense. That's what makes villains good to me a lot of times. It's like, is this a villain that just made sense? Did they just <laughs> say something that actually, that I said, oh, I get that. Or, oh, I would feel this way. And, and when they, because when they say things of reason, it makes you go, well, shoot. You have a little bit behind you, right? But that's like the only time where I really felt like that. The only time yeah. where I really felt like there was like meat behind, I think, what they were after. I, 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 I like their powers. I like that. I love their ambition. I love the way they went after people and all this and that. But I was looking for, I think, a little bit more out of their story. It feels like it's all over the place because it's just not focused. Like I said, like it is. I feel like, again, a quick exposition dump, 10-minute flashback is enough for me. I think that would have fixed a lot about how we felt about them. Because then they could have talked about, even the small exposition they do, of course, within their own dialogue, they could have talked about a little bit about something else, a little bit about their family dynamic why why Lucy Liu they maybe Lucy Liu was should have been closer to Atlas than Hespera was for some reason you know what I'm saying that's why she wants to avenge him so much more than than maybe uh Anthea does or Hespera I don't know I feel like there was ways in which they could have got us there that still serviced the story and not made us lose sight of the rest of the film you know what I mean and and they just didn't do it so yeah i I, i'm I'm with you uh and and, and i think we're in agreement there
1: yeah we 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 just didn't know enough about them like we knew more about the devices in which had to be acquired than we actually Mm -hmm. knew about the characters like they spent more time talking about the staff and they spent more time talking about the apple and it's like well i don't give a fuck about a mcguffin i want to know about the characters like that's Mm -hmm. who i really want to focus on and there's like that point I think in the middle of the film where we see the Shazam family at the Rock of Eternity, they go into that room that has all the books, which creatively was really cool to see. It felt like Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Like what they were trying mm-hmm. to do. Books were flying yeah. around and they had just endless amounts of resources at their disposal. But they spent most of the time in that particular moment with heavy, heavy Greek mythological exposition, just talking about all this stuff that I'm just like, okay, mm-hmm. you're, you're really weighing down the momentum of this movie. You're kind of alluding to just the daughters of Atlas a little bit. You're talking a little bit about Atlas himself, but it just didn't feel like enough. And even the way that it was presented, it wasn't it wasn't engaging. Just that that's really what it all comes down to. It wasn't engaging. It's more interesting when you do get a character themselves talking about their existence. Or you can get Rachel Zegler earlier in the film when she's talking with uh freddie at the at the school lunchroom she's alluding to her older older sisters being overprotective we Mm -hmm. don't necessarily or we're not supposed to i guess know that she's related to the daughters of atlas even though it's very obvious but she's talking about how one of them are, are super overprotective and they don't think that they can handle themselves and all that stuff like those are really i feel like those are organic ways to allow us to get to know them better and instead they kind of opted for very obvious stuff which is just like These conversations between them, like Lucy Lewis, just like really headstrong. She's just yelling like, we should have done this a long time ago and you gave them too much opportunity and why are you trying to work with them? And it's like, okay, that's just not as interesting to me, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I think it kind of, it kind of weighed down the film, but Rachel Zegler is kind of the more empathetic version of these three. Like they, they are representing sort of three different points. We've already alluded to her and her relationship with, with Freddie Freeman and how that was established early on. Her powers are also interesting. I don't know if I can really, I don't know what to make of them. It's like. It's like universe reality altering stuff. It kind of reminded me of Doctor Strange a little bit, like what she's able to do and change up the makeup of skyscrapers and buildings and do all this really weird stuff. It looks cool. I do got to give it that it looks cool. And I think in alignment with Hesper and Calypso, the costumes also looks really, really great. And we get a couple of points, like in addition to like the room with the books at the Rock of Eternity, we kind of see their their version of a layer two. Where they're like on this on this Greek mountain, you know, they're they're mm-hmm. on this mountain, and that's where they're sort of devising their plan. But what did you think about the look and the feel of these characters and how they're introduced into this world and just their power set and how they communicated all that stuff on screen?
2: Shout out to the actual set piece, I think, of the the God world. I wish the world was slightly more fleshed out, right? But the way it looked, I thought was pretty decent. At least those statues on the outside, when I was like, dang, that looks pretty good. So shout out to that. Um, these characters in general. Man, I said it before, I really like uh, uh, Hesper's costume. I really like Anne's costume. Lucy Lou to me, I don't know. Something was just all the way off to me. I didn't like her costume that much. <laughs> I didn't like her performance that much. Her character didn't really have a reason except she was trying to avenge her dad. I don't know. Something about that whole character was just not sitting completely well with me. Um, but everything else to me, I really, I really liked the way they looked, I think. And I really liked that you knew they were powerful like Helen Mirren wasn't no punk you know what i'm saying vesper wasn't uh, hesper wasn't no punk when it came to those fights so i love that feel as well knowing even when she was sitting there staring at billy i was like man this woman is scary and i love how billy calls that out too he's like you know you were really are you know one intimidating or whatever he said uh uh woman or whatever um and they try to talk that out but i love something about their presence does feel godly i will i will give them that something about it does yeah. feel cool uh, Anthea's powers are really cool the reality manipulation thing I really like that it's something of also something about it where you don't see that often at least in a character that does feel like they're in the in between you know what I mean maybe you get that out of a hero maybe you get that out of a pure villain but you never get that out of somebody in the in the between you don't see that power a lot Um, and, and, and I thought that was dope uh, the way I wish we seen it like one more time unfortunately <laughs> her powers got taken too I was like dang uh uh but yeah, I I I thought it was cool, man. The way they felt. Also, liked they felt like a mix between the Sanderson sisters and Charmed <laughs> at the same time. It's <laughs> some weird yeah. like medium there where. Uh, uh they feel like charmed because they do feel like the trinity they do and it's something about um the sanderson sisters where they feel you could tell they're they're always yelling at each other for something and it could be the smallest thing but you can always tell they're yelling at each other so um yeah I, I didn't i didn't mind their dynamic man i just wish lucy lucy brought it a little bit harder that's really it to be honest i just wish she was like between that and the the motivations i think of them as a group uh man that was that was like the missing piece to me that was like the thing I was like dang I would like them a little bit better if this third piece was a little bit better but something about her man I just I was not on board with
1: yeah they they I I just feel like the the writing for her was really really bad which which translated to really bad delivery I mean she had just like Mm -hmm. standard generic villain lines like you think you can match me you mortal like (laughs) shit regular basic stuff like there's no there's no depth to that it almost felt like she was acting across somebody that was not zach levi or not like an actual actor like she might have just been there by herself at several points in time so they they really i think that they really dropped the ball with her character it just probably was a combination of bad writing and not great execution on her part conversely though i think helen mirren like she had really good stuff we've already alluded to a couple of moments i -hmm. think the moment when they're in you know sort of their lair the god world that that part where she's reading the note from the shazam family (laughs) is great she reads it just such in a deadpan way she's like dear daughters of atlas good (laughs) one steve should we proofread like that's really really funny stuff she's just reading it verbatim very very dry accurate Very accurate. I'm just like, that Mm -hmm. stuff is great. Very, very charming moments. And again, we talked about Rachel Zegler. She is, I think, closely related to just like a normal human as as any of them. Because she is the youngest, even though she's... She's six thousand years old. Like, how the fuck <laughs> old is Helen Marin's character supposed to be like? Good Ooh, boy. Good grief. <laughs> like that that is just a wide, wide spread across their their difference in ages. But mm-hmm. uh yeah, you know, they they started off pretty hot and then ultimately I think just became very yeah. regular, plain, ordinary villains. The the the, the most Roger. interesting stuff that they tried to do was just like switch their roles and their dynamic by the end. like Lucy Lou becomes like crazed and and overpowered and maniacal almost and Helen Mirren is the one who's kind of aiding in the Shazam family to take her down because she realizes like oh yeah she's fucking crazy we got to get rid of her but she dies too so just some stuff that got dropped along the way which is unfortunate but again one of those cases of just a movie with probably too many characters if we're really thinking about it in in that respect oh and plenty of dragons which let's talk about that we should talk about the final act because it gets it gets crazy so the final act of this movie takes place in the city of philadelphia lucy lou's character calypso she's now in full control she has this dragon called the world eater i think late in the world eater is the name so your standard generic comic book name for any (laughs) all-consuming villain or monster. But she takes this apple, she plants it in the middle of the Philadelphia Phillies baseball stadium. Really tough beat for them. They're going to have a terrible season. (laughs) Um, And she she creates this tree that has all these branches that just take over the entire architecture and makeup of the city. But it also like hatches eggs of many, many different Greek mythological cr- creatures that just come and wreak havoc upon the city like there's a dragon, there's a minotaur, there's a cyclops, there's harpies, we see unicorns eventually. It's just a lot going on. I think that that stuff in terms of, you know, having cannon fodder in a comic book movie, that's probably as interesting as you could get. Like give us characters yeah. that we already kind of associate with Greek mythology that we're familiar mm-hmm. with, but they don't they're they don't really have a a, a purpose or a function besides being cannon fodder so i think that they mostly looked good um it's not the most interesting stuff in the world but if you're gonna have just like this big crazy battle in in a major metropolitan area this might be one of the more creative ways you can do it even though you know the execution might not have been all the way there but what did you think about just the whole the whole introduction of just all this greek mythology at the end there and it became like this big battle in the middle of
2: philly yeah it was the part again outside of whatever was going on with the Daughters of Atlas story that did feel the most Greek. I was like, oh, there's a Cyclops. Oh, like you said, there's a Harpy. Oh, I know these Greek creatures. Uh, I thought the Minotaur looked really good, by the way. Something about it. Yes, Uh, I agree. Minotaur looked really good. Uh, Something about it. I don't know. It was just cool, man. I think it's just the nerd in me that likes Greek stuff that has played all these God of Wars and other Greek TV shows and movies and things that just like seeing that stuff and like seeing how... Those were um, their foot soldiers, right? That they that they kind of uh, could use. Those aren't, those aren't no normal foot soldiers. You know what I'm saying? Those are some uh, some crazy. I really love the. Uh, I don't know what the name is of the lion scorpion thing, <laughs> but that thing is scary <laughs> as hell, bro. <laughs> that thing. I don't know the name of it, but that thing is wild. The way that thing comes out, stabs that girl and throws her through a window crazy. is what? <laughs> like where? I just that was a, another part of the movie I didn't expect. It's also funny uh, you, when they like hone in on I think a character in the movie that's not part of the main cast, but that is going through something. It's always a white woman in the movie. It's really funny, like the woman in the beginning with the car, <laughs> and then the woman uh, that gets stabbed by the scorpion. I feel like there was one more, but I, I just thought that was funny. That was I love like it. white women put 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 white <laughs> women shambles. in more peril. I love it. Let's do that more. <laughs> it's white women in shambles, man. But she got jacked up. It's also funny. Cause when the 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 vine was being made, and the white she she's up against the car, she like lost her shoe, and I think it switches back to her. I think her shoe was back on, and it did not matter because she gets thrown <laughs> through a window by a lion scorpion. It's like the craziest thing ever. Like you can't get you can't get that anywhere else but a comic book movie, bro. I thought that was that was pretty crazy um, to watch. But yeah, I thought it was I, I thought that was cool uh, that they use those 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 characters. I wish there was like. Even uh, I don't know man sometimes it's just like dang could y'all explain that for three seconds you know what I'm saying like I wish there was like a this apple does this for their world like they didn't really explain completely what the apple was going to do to the world except for refurbish it right and now they're like oh it's planted on earth soil now it's corrupted so you tell like if the apple was planted on their earth do that do, do we still get these creatures you know what I'm saying or is sure. it just like Because it's on Earth we get those creatures. I think that was something that was lost in translation because they just didn't really talk about it. Um, It's like, did they happen to be here? Because they're on. I don't know. It it was weird. I wish they they talked more about that. But again, really love seeing the creatures. Um, The unicorns, not Greek mythology, by the way. Definitely Uh, not. That that was
1: (laughs) an invention for this movie. They were like, oh, we just got to do something very different and weird here.
2: He said, "Let's throw in some unicorns, man." I actually I actually love the inclusion because that lo- that first unicorn was low key hella scary, <laughs> um, and it gave Darla something else to champion. You know what I mean? I thought that was cool that they gave her something else to do um, in in service of the film. So I actually really liked the unicorns in this movie. But it was cool seeing everybody.
1: They gave her product placement to champion. That's what they did in this movie. They said, "You're going to be the Talk Skittles about ad, an ad in this movie." I mean,
2: several it times. Was,
1: it was yes, yes. It was like four it, times. It, it, <laughs> Admittedly, it was a funny moment. Like I can't lie. When she said Taste the Rainbow, that great, was funny. great line usage. I mean, David F. Sandberg, he says he says that they wrote that in, there was no Skittles tie-in when they wrote that stuff in. It was just like, uh-huh. why not use a real product? But it's also like, <laughs> okay, we understand that this is a major motion picture that's going to have <laughs> sponsorships. So, sure. Sure, David. Sure that's what happened here. But um, yeah, they they made sure to have a lot of Skittles here because she a said Taste the Rainbow twice. Um, but you know, I think I think to your point about the explanation and just like how what is this apple supposed to do? You know, that that just comes down. It that's just standard comic book gobbledygook that they just are like, whatever, just do it. it who cares what yeah. it what it's supposed to mean? I mean, you know, that's one of those things we're that's always going to pick apart, but it's also like, okay. That's fair. We can't think too much about it. What I did like, though, about this final acts, you know, sort of battle, I think, I think one of the trends that we've seen over the past 10 or so years, we see sort of the lack of human cost in some of these big final battles. Mm. I love that this took place not only in a major metropolitan area, but the fact that we see so many humans deal with this shit, like you talked about the girl that got chucked through the window and died mm-hmm. and impaled and, and by a scorpion. There were people and extras all throughout this stuff, running, screaming, trying to get away, trying to get to safety. And I feel like it's become a trend that's not really spoken about that much where we don't get that. We don't get that that that's often true. because I think mm-hmm. after, I think what happened after man of steel in 2013 where they just mm, fucking backlash decimated metropolis like it was just like people were like well damn y'all killed like thousands <laughs> of people i feel like all the filmmakers and studios kind of got gun shy and started to like pull back on that a lot like you remember like age of ultron came out two years after man of steel yeah. and they had explicit moments in the movie where you can see the avengers escorting civilians away from the catastrophe mm-hmm. like oh get away get out the city evacuate leave they kept doing that and then it just got to a place where we're just going to go to different worlds and different planets. Avengers Infinity War, all of it's on Titan, you know, out of, out of out of outer space. And even in Wakanda, they're outside of the city limits, so the human cause can't really exactly. be that high. Mm-hmm. I just like that we kind of got back to a point in time where it's like, no, This is going to be in the middle of the city and people are going to die. There's going to be some deaths and we have to see what that looks like. But we're still going to try to save the majority of these people at the end of the day. Did you pick up on that when you were watching it, that they just focused on so much of the humans and just like their scared reactions and their fear while this was all, you know, sort of going on in the midst of just all the superheroic stuff that was also taking place?
2: Oh, yeah, for sure, because it was something about that pandemonium in the middle of the street felt different. Than everything else we had seen, I think, in recent years. Usually, when you see people, they are just running, right? They are just like, ah, this thing is coming, but not this movie. I mean, harpies was picking up people, minotaurs was running through people. It was a lot going on. It's something about that again that, that 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 pandemonium, that craziness going on in the streets that again added that layer of no, there's a risk here. Um, it even added to 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 Shazam's final uh uh. I guess battle, right? Because it felt like he was actually saving something. If that makes sense, because you could see people perishing at the very same time. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So I thought that was important that they added that in there.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the hallmarks of like those first Christopher Reeve Superman movies is the fact that like in the first Superman film, there's not really a villain. Like Lex Luthor is there played by Gene Hackman, but most of the movie Mm -hmm. is about Superman getting his powers and him just like saving people. Like he's, saving lois lane he's trying mm-hmm. to save the world from from peril he's like going to the hoover dam and he's flying around the way like you know it's it's cheesy mm, to look superman back on stuff. it now because it's early but it's <laughs> superman stuff and i think we yeah. we kind of lose that like superheroes being heroic just saving people like being out mm-hmm. there on the street on the ground we get a lot of it with spider-man of course that's natural but right. i think as the stakes have raised over the years and we just get the the endless beams into the sky and there's just like What's going on here, really? Like, where are all the people? Like, everybody's just, I guess everybody's inside, but really, like, everybody's just <laughs> able to get past, like, this immediate threat that's, like, present on the city streets of New York or Philly or whatever it is. So mm-hmm. I just like that they paid attention to that. There were real extras there. There were real people running from that pandemonium, as you said. Like, all that stuff felt very present and very immediate. But with the last portion of this final battle, we do get sort of a final standout between Shazam and this dragon in the middle of the Philadelphia Phillies. Baseball stadium. They're going to have a really bad season. Tough beat for them. And there's this dome situation, and the dragon can, like, paralyze you with fear, I guess. That's, like, his power. It's not like a fire... Well, is it a fire breathing? I can't even remember. Like, did he breathe fire at any point?
2: I think it is, like, blue fire. I I think... Godzilla. A couple times he was just, he was just about to eat people a couple times, but I'm pretty sure, sure Bluefire.
1: So yeah, they 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 have like a bit of a final battle. I think one of the cool things was the 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 introduction of like the lightning element, which is him. Like that is a character mm. that has lightning yeah. power. So visually, that stuff was was nice to see mm-hmm. it was it was a little bit busy on the screen there was a lot going on it was very dark you you couldn't really make out what was happening but there were a couple of visual cues where you can kind of see just the silhouette of Shazam and his costume had almost kind of be, become like very blackened at that point because he had been struck by lightning I think a couple times so mm-hmm. it looked really cool he almost kind of looked like Black Adam at several points but it just kind of resulted in him you know using the staff ultimately killing the dragon he you know was able to harness the power of lightning that created this this really this really big explosion and and we see we see billy sort of perish we we at least think he dies and there's a very emotional moment where he kind of passes on we think he's gone they bury him and what they do here is sort of pay off this i guess this mini arc that was unfolding all throughout the movie with the character of wonder woman in fact mm. in this film and so We do get the presence of Gal Gadot here coming back as Diana Prince and she is able to revive Billy after him perishing due to his wounds that he suffered at that battle. She's able to use the staff to bring him back to life and he comes back as an adult form. But earlier in the movie, we see them like going on a date, but they don't show her face like they're playing off (laughs) of the gag from the first movie where we don't. We don't don't ever see Superman's face. And so they kind Mm -hmm. of lean into that here, but then they also just sort of pay it off with her actually being in the movie at the end of it. What did you think about, you know, just the way that they wrapped that up and how they, you know, sort of brought her in here to be the person that could help revive Billy and also make sure that there was going to be more than just one guy present, one God present on this earth?
2: You know, it's something I still haven't wrapped my head around completely or really... I think processed how I feel about it. I will say it is hella comic booky. I will give them that. It does feel, when it happened, I was like, okay, that would happen (laughs) in a comic book. I was like, ah, that felt, that felt accurate. But it's something about it being Gal Gadot still, or something about, you know, the whole, we don't know where DC is going thing that just felt, made it feel off. I feel like if we knew that she would be around, I wouldn't have cared. And I would have been like, "Okay, I love that she's here. I I still love that she was there. Don't get me wrong. I will always love hearing the Wonder Woman theme. It sounds great every time. It's something about it. It's like, oh, shoot, something's about to go down. It's a really good theme. Um, Also, I just love seeing Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. I think she's a good Wonder Woman, you know? So it was like, oh, it's good to see her too. But something about that moment, because of knowing the outside of this movie is going on, felt weird. And I couldn't really put my, I still can't really put my finger on it because it i don't know it part of me was like did we earn this (laughs) kind of type thing part of me felt like like is this something that i don't know where are we going with that thing uh of course if if she is the last god alive and they throw her in there i'm like that makes sense to me it does it did make sense to me um in some ways but yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's it's something, again, I still have to figure out. Um, I didn't mind seeing her, but I do have thoughts around, I guess, the why they decided to include that in the film completely.
1: I, so I will say this from a story perspective, like within the confines of the movie. This is a clear, cl- clear cut deus ex machina situation where it's like the most convenient plot device that you could have it is very comic booky <laughs> but it's also like wow that just kind of came out of nowhere and all of a sudden we're going to use her and conveniently mm. bring Billy back to life now I think that they tried to do a little bit more with what they alluded to earlier in the movie where you see Billy on a date with her even though you don't see her face by the way super funny delivery from Jimon Hatsu his head on her body that was a weird visual but also <laughs> super funny when they did that that was that was comedy that was that pure was, comedy. that was very funny <laughs> <laughs> but for her to come back out of nowhere to just revive him mm-hmm. on this rock, uh this this, this Greek, there. this Greek rock, how did she know they were there? How did she get there? She Why wasn't she present for the final battle? She can show up for this, but not to like help with the actual fight itself in Philly. She was in Philly because she went on a date with Billy. So it's like, where were you? Where what were was you a, doing that? was with? a dream I mean, though, right? Oh, it was you're right. It was a dream. He he that did dream, dream that he'd go on a date with her. But then mm-hmm. now now that you even said that it's like well now that that makes even less sense because like she really had no reason to be there it would be different if they actually went on the date and they didn't know each other because if they knew each other and she showed up because they had previously been on a date i'd be like oh that makes sense but because he dreamed it and he had that vision of wizard popping up now that makes even less oh man so now i'm just (laughs) like what the fuck that doesn't from a story perspective it just doesn't make sense yeah from a more outside contextual standpoint which we were alluding to just about the the status of her as a character. Mm-hmm. I mean Wonder Woman 3 has been canceled from Patty yep. Jenkins, which doesn't necessarily mean the same fate for Gal Gadot as the mm-hmm. character, but by all accounts with the announcements of what James Gunn and Peter Safran rolled out, we don't have any indication that Gal Gadot is coming back. They have not right. reassured us as an audience like that's going to be our Wonder Woman. So even when she popped up in the movie, I'm sure you noticed this when we first saw the film and her music blared through the speakers, there was no reaction. Nobody clapped, nobody cheered. It wasn't like this really it was just it was like confusion. Oh. It was very it yeah, it was, was very much confusion. Like, well, why is she here? And so I just fear that that's just like the general reaction to the whole inclusion of her character. It's like, well, why is she really here? She doesn't have a real reason to be here. That's a Deus Ex Machina situation. The third piece of it, which I want to get your thoughts on, they fucking revealed this in the marketing. They put uh, out ads on TV for this in the marketing, which I don't know. For me spells desperation that's what it feels like they probably knew that this movie was not tracking great they knew that it probably was not going to perform that well in the box office and so they decided to spill this info days before with tv spots Uh, apparently it was a leak quote unquote i don't believe that i feel like that they leaked it themselves if anything to try to get some excitement and drum up some anticipation for the movie it kind of feels like a black adam situation with the whole superman henry cavill Mm. thing that dwayne johnson pulled with, with that movie Mm-hmm. Did that feel kind of apparent to you that, you know, they were just like throwing this out there in the marketing to just try to drum up some sort of excitement and anticipation for this movie? Maybe get the last minute viewers who were probably on the fence to show up because they want to see Wonder Woman for three seconds.
2: Yeah, it it, it definitely feels like that, especially I'm sure at some point they were like, man, I'm sure their projection felt weird <laughs> or some somebody was like, oh, y'all know about this movie. <laughs> we have to we might have to throw Gakkado in here as Wonder Woman, real quick, to guess, to tell people that she's in this film. Um, I, I even think that's interesting when, when you hear the news that at some point they were going to try a, a Superman cameo in this movie and a Batman cameo in this movie. And, and a like, JSA cameo from the other And a JSA people. cameo. Yeah, and you're like well, okay. You know, I don't know. It, it definitely feels like, okay, we gotta give him something, you know, kind of type thing after you hear kind of all the other cameos that could have been present. So yeah, it definitely feels like that, man. And it, I think the difference between this and, and the Black Adam ending is when, when Henry Cavill comes out as Superman, there's still an indication that that's possible versus when this happens, <laughs> I guess there's, it's way more unclear than it ever has been now to me because yeah. cause At one point, you said Marvel, right? As a as a studio, they will cut a movie up into the end. Yeah, I don't. I believe that probably to be true for DC to some degree, right? To where they had plenty of time if James Gunn said Wonder Woman is no more, to cut Gal Gadot out of this movie, bring him back to life with, I don't know, the wizard still has some amount of power. You know what I'm saying? Do a reshoot for one day. find another way to bring billy back just make it up it's comics whatever can do <laughs> do something i i just don't oh, see man. i don't i don't understand the decision to keep it if you're not using her anymore versus black adam where we're all like oh shoot harry Cavill's back this doesn't feel like that this is like this raises more questions than anything black adam to me there wasn't a lot of questions versus when does the movie come out <laughs> between these two versus now it's like wonder woman what do you have why are you here kind of type thing or like what are they doing with you so yeah it was it, it was more confusion than anything for sure and, and you could tell in the audience everyone nobody was like mad or anything everyone was just like okay that's cool but why that's the that's the what it felt like in the room and in in yeah i could i felt the uh the very same way yeah and the, the questions
1: unfortunately do not stop there but before we get to like the post-credit scenes and just what we saw in those stingers um we we briefly talked about Marta milans and cooper andrews who play the parents of the shazam family um rosa and victor it was was there anything else you wanted to say about them they, they 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 did not have really anything to do i felt like that they were just kind of watching tv the whole movie they were relegated yeah. to just watching newscasts until the final act where they could like actively be a part of the story and in the city mm-hmm. but anything else you wanted to add about their characters and what they what they contributed here
2: uh, I do like when they are on screen. They add something like I always do feel like I'm around the Shazam family's parents because of how concerned they are with different things in the film. There is that one moment where where Mary um, is like, wait a minute, you guys bought the house. Like, it felt like that was a very under-radar moment that should have yeah. been... Again, these things don't need, like, ten minutes of us talking about them, but give us two minutes where, like, the parents bought by the house and everyone's like, oh, my God, you did this thing. You know, I don't know. Do do something really fast um, to, to, to make us feel like uh, that meant something because they say it so fast and they never really talk about it again. Um but but yeah, I think Marta Malans did great. The moment she had, the moment she has with Billy at the end before he goes on his big thing I, again. Although I didn't feel like we earned it a hundred percent, it still felt really good. It still, felt that was one of the the more heartfelt moments um, of the film with him finally calling her mom and stuff. So shout out to him or shout out to her. Um, and then there is uh, the quick moment uh, with uh, Victor Vasquez where he's like. Uh, Oh, uh, the battle wagon or whatever. The war wagon. Everybody uh, hopping in the war yeah. wagon. I was like, okay, that's, that's kind of funny. That's a good moment. Uh, but yeah, I'll, again, I also really like the moment where the dragon comes to their, their basement. <laughs> and it's like, uh-oh. How destroys they gonna, their house. Destroys their house, man. Um, and one more line that she says that I actually like. She was like, I don't really know how to parent here. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't think anybody would. Because her kids are just like superheroes. And they're not even... The ones in the van aren't even super no more. And they just walked out the van to go get some unicorns. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you tell them not to go? Do you? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I, I really like every time they're on screen because they provide at least something to the movie, you know, some kind of form of, okay, this is the the matriarch and patriarch of the family. This is the mom and the dad. They have something there. So I appreciate them for that.
1: Certainly. When they, when they get an opportunity to play, they always execute and step up and deliver. Um, you, you want more for their characters because they are so important, I think, to the family dynamic and just, just the makeup. They're very loving, very protective, of course, but they also realize that they are way out of their depth they don't know what the hell is going on and they don't know what they're going to do like even when when darla tells them or it might have been mary i can't remember who told them specifically but when they're leaving the band to go to the unicorns and they're like yeah make sure all these people get to safety and they're both like what like we're we're we we can't save anybody it's just two of us we don't have powers you know it's small stuff like that that you know Mm -hmm. they can help you know sort of communicate those feelings but you know nice to see them nonetheless I, i did want more for them Let's talk about, you know, sort of as we wrap up here, the two stingers that we got. We got a mid-credit scene and a post-credit scene. The questions continue to raise because the mid-credit scene was good, but it's also very confusing because what we see here is Amelia Harcourt and John Economos coming from the Peacemaker series and, and the Suicide Squad essentially to recruit Billy to be a part of the Justice Society of America. And so he's like practicing... His lightning powers on some bottles. They approach him. They essentially credit him like, you've done a good job. Amanda Waller is seeing you. We'd like to recruit you for the JSA. He thinks he's getting recruited for the Justice League, which is the group that Wonder Woman is a part of because he has a crush on her. Not that group, another group. Now, we were introduced to the JSA in Black Adam. We saw a lot of those characters. We saw Hawkman. We saw Dr. Fate. We saw Cyclone. But Black Adam essentially is no more in the new DCU. This was clearly having some sort of connective tissue to that that film, Black Adam. David F. Sandberg has also talked about that they wanted to get JSA cameos into this movie, but I don't believe anybody was available. So at the last minute, they had to make a, a, an audible and get the characters of Amelia, Amelia and John Economos here to come recruit them. So they, they essentially accomplished what they set out to do just with different characters that they had to swap out. But again, for a portion of this universe that's no longer going to exist, at least in the way that it's constructed now, this just felt weirdly out of place. Like, I liked mm-hmm. what I saw, but I'm also just like, there is no JSA. That's not going to be a thing, at least not like in the immediate short term for what James Gunn and Peter Saffron is going to do. So I just wonder... I just wonder behind the choice to keep it. You know, I I do wonder like, well, why do you keep this in the movie? The second one made a lot more sense because you could still maybe do some sort of Shazam story with Dr. Savannah. But this right. one explicitly, when we know the state of Black Adam and we know that that's not going to be a thing that they focus on and we know the JSA at least is not, again, a focus of the immediate short term, this just kind of felt like it was out of place for me.
2: Yeah, I I, I agree. And I think what also throws me off is them coming from Peacemaker, a James Gunn property? You know what I'm saying? That's the thing that's like, what are we doing? I think that it just created more confusion inside of me because I'm like, I feel like James Gunn in some form of fashion has the power to be like, okay, we're not doing that anymore. But th- we do it anyway. And it's like, okay, is there actually something happening here or nothing happening here? Like I kind of need to know, you know what I mean? As a viewer, it's just so much confusion on the board Once you add that, Wonder Woman is one thing, right? Wonder Woman is like, okay, whatever. Like, she's a bigger, uh, different character thing, but now James Gunn is tied to this thing Mm -hmm. that's kind of at the end of this, and, and, and it creates, again, even more confusion. So I don't know... What's happening here? Uh, if it's all throwaway, it is what it is. But I, at least, I will say I don't mind the direction of them now putting Shazam and JSA. He has a JSA history. You know what I'm saying? Like he's a that it's it's a it's also a place where him and Black Adam could have hashed some stuff out. Like that's it's 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 a lot going on when Shazam is in JSA, um, to that degree, and low-key, you keep adding names to that, that's coming a cool little team, you know, I I wouldn't have mad to see Aldis Hodge and Zachary, you know what I'm saying, I wouldn't mind seeing some of that stuff, so yeah, it's just, a lot of it's unfortunate, a lot of it's confusing, a lot of it's, it's, it's all over the place, um, and part of me is hoping, yeah, for just more direction by the end of all this, man, tell us one more time that, this movie means not. You can't tell us this movie means nothing and then have these like two, three Easter eggs of like, these things could be important. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, it's, it, it definitely took me out of it a little bit to to try to figure out what was going on.
1: Yeah, because what you're also simultaneously doing, and this is a somewhat of a dangerous game, I would say, We have to remember, the stuff we talk about here on this podcast, the stuff that we follow on film, Twitter, or from pundits and critics and experts, the people that are connected to this stuff and very much report on it and actively talk about it, this is a bubble. This is a very small portion of the audience that is very keenly aware of this stuff. Most people don't know about these things. Most people don't know necessarily that Black Adam is no longer going to be a thing, and I'm not underestimating how intelligent and how up on this stuff audience members are, because I know people... Mm -hmm who don't even follow this as closely as we do, that know about a lot of this behind-the-scenes stuff. But I think I think the vast majority, like if your grandma goes to see this movie or if your mm-hmm. aunt is wanting to check out Shazam 2, she's not going to know about JSA not being a thing and not moving forward. And so when you do add in these components of things that probably are not going to be paid off and then it just never happens, it's just like, well... What, what's going to happen with that are they ever going to like revisit that no probably not it's it's very unlikely at this point so it's just a, it's a weird dissonance that i think we're having between the mm. actual reality of what the future of dc is going to be versus what we're seeing unfold on screen again it's just a weird year and i fear that we're going to see a lot more of this in the remaining three films like we're going to see more mm. of this in the flash maybe blue beetle but that feels so disconnected that I'd be very surprised if they do anything to connect to anything in that mm-hmm. film, but Aquaman there might be there just might be some like strange awkward stuff that we have to go through to just say like yeah, it is it is what it is, but mm-hmm. at the same time like they took out cameos from the Flash, like we we saw reports like they you took out stuff it. from the Flash to avoid confusion, but they didn't do that here I do don't, I don't know. I don't get it. Maybe there's a reason. There has Maybe to be something. There has to be something. I, I you know, I guess the Flash might be more integral to to the future plans and it might be more connected than we think.
2: I do remember when James Gunn was talking about all of this. He was like Shazam is one of those characters that already feels so disconnected that we could use him. I feel like I remember hearing that or you never know where his fate might be. Mm-hmm. But then in this film you just connected him to a bunch of stuff. So I think that's like another, you know what I'm saying? Like he just told us he could use Shazam potentially.
0: Yeah. And
2: now it's like can we? I don't know. I guess you could always delete post-credit scenes, you could always delete Wonder Woman. So maybe they can still use him in the future, but we'll have to see.
1: Well, I'll toss another wrinkle into this. Amanda Waller. They're not recasting Viola Davis. They are making clear and explicit connection to that character. And we know that one of the projects coming from James Gunn is a Waller TV show. And they just Whoa. made a direct reference to her into this movie. So it's like, well, wait, what What are we? really I, I don't know. It's just so many questions where it's like. Again, us people who actively talk about this stuff frequently, we're thinking about this. I know most people are not thinking about this, but it does <laughs> just create it just creates this weird, this weird relationship that we have to these movies. And so anytime I go back and rewatch zan Fury of the Gods and I see this post-credit scene, I'm just like, okay, I still don't even know where we're going with this. But uh the the other the other one that we got was Dr. Savannah in the in the in in, in the post-credit scene, once again played by Mark Strong. He once again encounters Mr. Mind, who we saw in the first post-credit scene of the first Shazam movie, and they playfully allude to the fact Mr. Mind is indeed what I guess a caterp- a caterpillar and cannot move that nope. fast, very very slow moving creature. So the plans that they're trying to enact, they're taking some time. So it was fun. It was a it was a funny tidbit to to call mm. back to. David F. Sandberg did talk about that they were initially planning to include Mr. Mind in this movie. He was going to be the one responsible for somehow getting the goddesses into this world. I think that that was the the mm. initial idea, but it just became too much story, too many characters, yeah. too much to try to juggle. So they just relegated it to like a reference here. That like, yes, we remember we brought up this character in the post credit scene for the first movie. Here where here's where things are with you know both Savannah and Mister Mind. what do you think about you know seeing this one unfold?
2: Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a pretty cool tidbit, man. I think Mr. Mine is such a funny character to introduce to people, man. It's an alien caterpillar. Um, and it's like, dang, how do how do we get people to buy into this this alien caterpillar? I think does David F. Sandberg actually play Mr. Mind? I think he might. He actually voices voice him. He does. Mm-hmm. I think that's so crazy uh, and that's so funny. But I, you don't see a lot of post-credit scenes that I think relate to each other directly, and I love that they did that. I thought that was really cool. He's like, I've been here two years, dude. What are you talking about? Um, so yeah, I thought that's a. I think that's a good way. Uh, yeah, another funny tidbit to leave the movie on, and a movie that has x amount of comedy. You know, what I mean, a decent amount of comedy it was like, okay, that was a funny post-credit scene. I could take that one and run with it.
1: Yeah, and for Mark Strong to play it so seriously was also equally as funny. He's like, what are you doing? I've been here for two years and we haven't done anything. Like, when are we planning to get on with this shit? So it was also like, like a, a really slither. good performance from him. <laughs> he just, he slithers, he's like, wait, there's one more thing. <laughs> to Take care of it. It's like, it's going to be another two years before he comes back, bro. Another don't hold two your years, man. Um, So yeah, it, it was funny to see. I mean, we we don't know where it leads to, if anything, but it, it was funny to see. Um, so final two questions for you. First, we'll we'll talk about the DCEU and where does this rank? I mean, this is technically a part of the DCEU. We're twelve films in. Technically, it might be a little meaningless to do this now—a meaningless exercise because the DCU will will you know sort of rest Man. in peace after this year. But yeah. uh, I think for the sake of continuity, for the sake of you know how we have these conversations, where would this fall? You know, sort of in the landscape of films that we've seen up until this point for you.
2: Uh, currently, right now, I have it in the middle. It's like at a weird eighth spot behind uh bb BV- i got bbs donna justice at my seventh spot and birds of prey at my ninth spot if that makes sense so it's kind of kind of exists right here in the middle man again very very fine movie i don't hate it i'll probably will watch a couple more times to be honest it's that it's pretty watchable you know what i mean it's not like a movie i'm like uh i can't believe i'm watching this thing so i think it's pretty watchable i'll probably watch a couple more times but uh nowhere near the top nowhere near the first exam which i have i think it's top five <laughs> for me for sure, but also nowhere near the bottom. It's no Suicide Squad, twenty sixteen. It's no Justice League, oh, twenty seventeen. No. <laughs> it's no Wonder Woman, eighty four. <laughs> it's none of those movies, man. So yeah, it just exists in a weird middle spot. Um But yeah, I actually like the spot it's at. I think it's I think it's fine. I think it's fine.
1: It's also in my spot as well. So it's in between. Similarly, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, but right below it, I have Black Adam, and so it is in my hmm. eighth spot. I like. Man of Steel better. I like BVS better. Of course, Wonder yep. Woman, Shazam, Suicide Squad, like all better movies. But it, it's kind of, you know, in that middle at this point, you know, that, that's that's really, you know, sp- sort of speaking to the, you know, I think just the overall reception and the quality of the film, it's, it's sort of middle of the road at this point. Mm-hmm. Last question before we get out of here. What's your prediction on the character Shazam moving ahead, especially as it relates to Zach Levi and <laughs> his role or lack thereof, I guess, in the future of the DCU? I know we've circled this conversation. It is hard to tell. We don't have really a substantial idea mm-hmm. from leadership on, on on what that'll look like. But if you had to just predict what you think they'll do with the character and with Zach Levi, what would that be?
2: Ooh, what a hard, hard question. What I will say is James Gunn is a guy who feels like he is about to ramp up on all things DC. It does feel like he's about to, of course, take care of the loved ones, right? The big three, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. It feels like he is going to do something at some point with those three characters. Definitely the first two. Wonder Woman, we don't know what he's doing Wonder Woman at all. <laughs> uh, but we know he's going to take care of the first two um, in some form or fashion. I think somewhere down the line, Shazam does fit into that. If it's Zachary Levi, I don't know. It, um, but in terms of, of of what he's doing now, man, it's just so hard to tell. Again, I will add that he did say Shazam is one of those characters. That I already feel so disconnected that you might be able to bring him back and do something with it. My, to be honest... The biggest thing that deters me away from that is Asher Angel's age. A big part of Shazam is Billy Batson, man. When he, when he, even when he's with JSA, b- very quick small comic story. Him and Star Girl have like a whole romance, <laughs> mm. and people look at him weird because around the JSA, he can only be Shazam. So people look at him weird because Stargirl's younger, not knowing that Billy Batson is also younger. That's like a whole thing, uh. And so I, I because Asher uh Angel's getting older I don't know if they can play with a lot of those different things with that character so part of me feels like if he does bring them back they'll have to recast Shazam maybe not Zachary Taylor or Zachary Taylor Zachary Levi but maybe they might have to cash uh Asher Angel so that's how I feel about it right now that they might bring back Zachary Levi Asher but maybe not so much Asher Angel that's where my head space is currently but we'll have to see So
1: a couple things. One, literally before we started recording, I know David F. Sandberg tweeted out a bunch of things and talked about how he is leaving the superhero genre. He's not going to direct any more superhero movies, at least for the time being. He wants to get back to horror. Totally get it. He's done two of these back-to-back. Takes a lot out of you. So if they were to just hypothetically make a third Shazam movie, he would not be directing it, if they go that route, which I don't think they will. I ultimately predict that Shazam will eventually come back into the dc universe in terms of live action it will not be played by zachary levi or asher angel Ash mm-hmm. Angel's just going to be too old, and I think they're going to recast Zachary Levi. Um, no, no particular reasons. I just think that they'll want to start fresh time. with that character, yeah. and mm-hmm. and just you know sort of go in a different direction. I, I I think that that's what ultimately happens here. We'll have two Shazam movies at least for the time being to revisit if we choose to. We have like a duology here, which is nice. You know, most most movies don't get sequels. You know, so it's decent that they got a chance to to do two of these. But I just don't see I don't see anything coming out of this, especially considering. I mean, we just got to be honest, the poor performance of this movie is just not doing that great from a critical mm-hmm. reception standpoint, but also from a financial standpoint, it's not doing that great. So it's also like business wise, do we want to put more into what we know now as this character? Although quality wise, it might have been really beloved by a certain demographic. It's just not extrapolating that much value for us, at least for the short term. So they might just have to go back to the lab, revisit the character, figure out how they want to integrate them into the future. That does not necessarily preclude them, though, from doing something with the multiverse, which we know has become a thing, and they could bring back Zach Levi if they so choose to. Might be a cop-out situation. I don't know. This multiverse stuff is getting very, very crazy and almost unwieldy, and I would Mm -hmm. probably detest that decision, but they do have an out, as you said. If they wanted to find a way, they could always find a way. It's comics at the end of the day, so they'll figure it out. But Folks, with that being said, that's all we have for our review of Shazam! Fury of the Gods. If you've seen this movie, definitely hit us up. And let us know what you're thinking. With that being all said and wrapped up, that's all we have for this episode of Two Black Nerds. Thank you again, of course, for tuning into another podcast. We will be back next week to talk about John Wick Chapter 4, the fourth installment in the John Wick franchise. Certainly cannot wait to go see that movie this weekend and come back with our reviews. And we also have to talk about the brand new series on Prime Video from Janine Neighbors and Donald Glover's Swarm, which is being very much talked about across the internet right Watch now. It. So we'll be back to review that series next next week on the podcast so plenty to look forward to but until then we will see y'all next time
2: yes sir we are Audi 5000 please check out our two black panthers forever collection at twoblacknerds.com happy woman's history month then remember always bet on black appreciate y'all love y'all thank you for listening to another episode of two black nerds where we're too black too nerdy and we out y'all New York
3: street This is how I represent over this here beat, talking about you. Yo, I took you out, but sex was on my mind for the whole damn route. My mind was in a frenzy in a horny state, but I couldn't drop down because you couldn't relate. You let yourself come, you
0: said, you couldn't relate. let yourself come, you said, you couldn't relate. You couldn't relate. You couldn't relate. Shot your legs,
3: let me make you ball Drop you insane, drop you up a wall. Staring at you, know peace very strong Stronger than pride, stronger than teflon Take you on the ave and you buy me links Now I want a pound of food thing until it sticks. You could be my mama and I'll be your boy Original old boy, never am I coy You could be a shorty in my ill convoy Not to come across as a thug or a hood, But hon, you got the goods, like Madeline Wood By the way, my name's Malik, the five foot freak they say we get together by the end of the week she simply said no label me a hoe i said how you figure my friends tell me so i hate when silly groupies wanna run the you yeah. word to god hon i don't get down like that i'll have you weak in the knees that you can hardly speak or we could do like uncle ella swing it in my cheek on the down yo we keep it discreet see i'm not the type the kid to have my business streets if my mom don't approve then i'll just be low let me save the little man from inside the boat let me hit it from the back girl i won't catch a hernia bust off on your couch now you got semen furniture shy he fight for the extra p stacy beetle pj and my man lg they know the ass track is really so on ice the character is of man never ever a mice shorty let me tell you about my only vice it has to do with lots of loving and it ain't nothing nice
0: it yourself ain't a nice relax yourself yourself relax yourself relax yourself relax yourself relax yourself relax yourself relax relax yourself relax yourself relax relax yourself yourself relax relax yourself relax yourself yourself relax yourself relax yourself he relax yourself relax yourself relax relax yourself yourself relax relax yourself relax yourself yourself relax yourself said to relax relax yourself relax yourself relax relax yourself yourself relax relax yourself